American band. And you're going to see it all live right here. 11 great matches. Five championships will be decided here tonight at the Great American Bash. And Bob, what I think everyone came to see, will Sting be 100%? And will he realize his dream tonight against the Nature Boy, Ric Flair? The show before this, Capital Combat, is the Robocop 2 tie-in. At this point, we weren't covering that, but I'm also not that disappointed because I love Robocop and I don't want it to be sullied by Tully Blanchard. One day, one day we'll cover it, old man. Yes. Do you love Robocop 2, though? Because I've never seen Robocop 2. Robocop 2 is alright, actually. It's not, I mean, come on, it's not a patch on the original, but it's alright. Robocop 3 is a bit ropey. Hang on, hang on, hang on. So, yeah, I was going to say, I don't think he's think one of the biggest Robocop 3 guys in the business. Well, so there is, there is a caveat. Robocop 3 is so away from what Robocop is that as a Robocop film, it's a bit strange, but as a satire, it's very good. So I can understand why Tinky likes it, but... When you're after a man who's had to be surgically repaired and made into a robot cop, it's not it's not what I'm after, especially compared to the first one. He gets his hand blown off in the first one. The third one has got its weaknesses in that it's not kind of... It doesn't really feel like a sequel to the other two um, because the main bad guy from the first two just isn't there anymore. Look, I think the guy who played him probably died. And also, like, Paul um, Peter Weller, Paul Weller, Peter Weller, who played <laughs> um, Robocop, isn't playing Robocop in the third one either. And I think also his sidekick gets killed or whatever. But it's an incredible spoof of itself. And yeah. it, it is is as a consequence brilliant and it's got flying robocop so what more could you want it does <laughs> imagine if it was paul weller playing him and he he like turned up on like a vespa you know what i mean like oh. got, got, got off and his friend perry on amazing king of the mods robocop <laughs> that's the fourth one M- modo cop yeah robo mod <laughs> that's better that's better <laughs> shit Hello and welcome to the Random Wrestling Review. It's time to tape your bollocks to the table and dive right into another randomly reviewed wrestling show. I'm Ben Spindler and today we're looking at WCW's Great American Bash 1990, subtitled New Revolution. But you'll all be glad to hear that we have maintained the status quo in terms of our lineup today. First of all, they call him the Wanderer. Hey, hey, the Wanderer, a man who gives you whatever you want. It's old man, Sam Carey. Well, I enjoyed that because I'll be honest, I don't really know what the Be The Neck You're On About and then it tweaks that they're status quo songs. So I feel like, what are we, probably a minute in? We've peaked. <laughs> We've peaked, but I'll take it. Let's end the show now. Let's just stop. Yeah. We, we're never going to go better than that. Because no. um, also fresh off of rocking all over the world, we have Tom Smith, who is down, down, deeper and down with us for today's show. Tom, how's it going? I'm good. Fitness you. I didn't know the names of any status quo songs apart from rocking all over the world. So thank Christ you came out with that one because I'd have been uh, I'd have been fucked otherwise. Uh, I'm doing I'm doing very well, thank you. I'm looking forward to talking about this, an era of WCW that I am not familiar with in the slightest. Obviously, seeing some familiar faces, but it's a uh, it's 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 quite an interesting show. It's someone I was quite looking forward to watching. Good stuff. Well, you've all almost eaten. 
eating into our first part of the show, which we'll get yeah. to in just a second. But before we get there, if you have yourself any status quo themed puns to describe the quality of our show, maybe you like it, you like it, you like it, you like it, you la 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 like it, then please put them in a review. And while you're there, rate us on your podcasting app of choice. Obviously, you can rate us whatever you want, but we'd prefer six stars in the two you do. I have already done whatever you want, old man. So. Have you? I oh, won't listen. Well, it's part of your intro for crying out loud. <laughs> uh, for, for crying out loud, is that another one? <laughs> Probably. Who knows? <laughs> I've done enough. You know, I, say, I, I, know, I know whatever you want, because it used to be on a DFS advert. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the, the thing is, I, I figure, like, if we're going to bring up status quo, I may as well just exhaust it immediately so that we never have to bring them up again. That is really my main thinking here. So we need a band with a big back catalog, because we don't want another Finley Quay incident, do we? <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's partially inspired by the Finley Quay incident, if I'm honest. So let's start with going straight into the show. Uh, before we get there, though, I did want to say, actually, for anyone who likes a Christmas song, that uh, State Square have a banging Christmas song, if you uh, can get your hands on it. I think it's called It's Christmas Time, and it's very much in the... It, it sounds very much like State Square with a few Christmas bells on the, on the end, but um, it also is in very much in the kind of spirit of Slade and... You know, that kind of stuff. That's lovely to hear. And what I love about certain like artists who do Christmas songs as well, not especially ones that aren't defined by their Christmas songs, like Wizard or whatever, you know, those kind of acts. Um, or when you get a song which is exactly the same as any other song, but they just happen to say the word Christmas or there are sleigh bars. So James Brown's Funky Christmas is amazing because every song is just a normal James Brown song. But with him going, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, yeah, I love you. And that's it. That's literally the entire album. It's phenomenal. Well, some might be kind of shocked by the fact that we're talking about Christmas songs in July. But there you go. That's just how we roll. So let's get into the show today because we've got a lot to cover. There are 11 matches on this show and start with our pre-show expectations uh, let's start with you, Tom, because you've already given us some of yours. Yeah, I'm just quite, quite looking forward to it. Um, if I'm being honest, like watching these these old WCW pay-per-views, regardless as to the quality of them, I always kind of enjoy them because it's something new. It's a, it's a presentation that I'm not used to. And let's be honest, the, the presentation and the production value on WCW or any non-WWE or WWF pay-per-views is always bad. So there's always something for me to laugh at because mm. there's, usually, there's something usually a bit crap. That being said, I didn't really know much about who would be on the roster at this point in time. Obviously, knew. Sting was on the main event because he was on the poster. Presumably, they haven't taken a leaf out of kind of the late 2000 teens Dodo Ruse book and put their actual main event star on the poster. And yeah, I was just I was quite looking forward to it. Um, so yeah, let's just uh, get, let's get stuck in. Let's get these bollocks gaffer take to a table and let's crack on. <laughs> the new <laughs> the new catchphrase of the random wrestling review. Oh man. I'll say I had one bollock on the table because up until we covered, I think it's Spring Stampede 93, I was well into these and we kind of uh, hit a little bit of a bum note. So I was a little bit worried about what we were going to get, to be honest. And yeah, I was a bit middling. I was I'm always, always interested to see it for many of the reasons that Tom's pointed out, but I was a little bit like, interesting um yeah i i was excited i was quite looking forward to it but at the same time i was kind of um a little bit apprehensive because i know that in the mid sorry in the early 1990s wsw's product was very inconsistent in terms of what you were going to get not just in terms of quality but just in terms of the whole presentation um the fact that they obviously changed who was in charge of wsw a number of times during that period and so 
uh it kind of it really varies in terms of what you're going to get and how how good things are going to be so i was quite looking forward to it but with a sort of note of apprehension because i don't know whether this is going to be kind of wrestling based wcw or this is going to be film tie-in based wcw yeah. which we you know is, is is around this early 90s period or it was going to be something else so um yeah i was uh apprehensive but but looking forward to it so let's get into the show shall we um we begin with we've got two commentators for this show, Jim Ross and Bob Caudle, and they start by discussing Sting's injured leg ahead of his match with Ric Flair, which will be in tonight's main event. They will be fighting for the NWA world title. They also talk about Doom versus the Rock and Roll Express for the WWE tag team titles and the fact that Big Van Vader is scheduled to make his debut on the show. And they throw to the world's most dangerous ring announcer, I think they call him, Gary yeah. Michael Capetta, who introduces a buddy Landell, who is already in the ring. Any notes on the commentators here and their introduction? I've got a quick note pre-commentators and introduction. In the opening kind of video, I quite like it. It shows Sting and Ric Flair. It's like finding fathers, yes. <laughs> on, which made me believe that this pay-per-view was in Boston because, you know, that would kind of make sense. Uh, but no, it's not. It's in Baltimore. I just thought it was really, a really strange thing. Um, on the commentary team, very young Jim Ross, who I keep forgetting is Jim Ross throughout the pay-per-view, and Bob Wasserface, who is the most generic man in the entire world. <laughs> Bob Caudle is this is a legacy of the fact that World Championship Wrestling ultimately came from Jim Crockett Promotions, which for the last few years of his existence effectively called itself the NWA because there weren't really any other NWA territories around anymore. But Jim Crockett Promotions, prior to being called the NWA, was the territory Mid-Atlantic mm. and he was the lead commentator for Mid-Atlantic through the period where the, the territories were still very much alive and well and was probably the worst of all of the regional commentators, unfortunately. But obviously, he still survives because of that reason. Well, he also used to commentate with Gordon Solis, didn't he? It'd be those two quite a lot because I've seen some of like, the old Starcades and stuff like that. And it's those two in commentary and it's bloody awful. Well, that makes sense because, again, Gordon Soley was originally part of the Florida Territory, but they were taken over by the uh, Jim, by Jim Crockett Promotions w mm. quite a long time before some of the other regional uh, promotions. Mm. The main thing I took from this opening little vignette, well, not vignette, uh, whatever it's called, just basically commentator gab, is you imagine a time where you're sitting down, either on pay-per-view or in the arena, and they're like, oh, we got this guy Vader debuting. And this is obviously pre-internet, pre-all of that, and you ain't got a clue who he is. It'd be incredible, wouldn't it? Obviously, knowing how good Vader is as well. If it like it was fucking, I don't know, someone really shit, then you'd be disappointed. But, oh, what a time. I mean, weirdly for me, I was quite kind of, I quite enjoyed the fact that we had Jim Ross and Bob Caudle. Jim Ross from Mid-South, Bob Caudle from Mid-Atlantic, throwing to Gary Michael Capetta, who was originally a WWF ring announcer, and their interviewer was Gordon Soley, who had been from the Florida Territory. So I was quite, because uh, I'm a bit of a geek and I quite like this mm. stuff, I was quite taken by that. But I'm assuming it probably goes over the head of most people these days, because the Territory... Terry's age just isn't well understood, I don't think. No. No, and, and at this at this stage as well, they're starting to hit some more of the production values and stuff like that. And it, it kind of a lot of and I feel like this with a lot of the acts that are on the card as well. I feel like there's a little bit of like a crossover period here between those kind of like the older generation of wrestlers and the like the stalwarts from like the early to mid eighties and then some of the stalwarts from 
the late eighties to eighties to early two thousand. There's a bit of like a, a a crossover timeline wise. I find like that in this pay per view as well. Mm. Yeah, I think it's something actually that you see in WWF. But again, the reason it doesn't stand out is because those WWF stars, kind of the way they present them, aren't. It's as if, like, for example, Greg Valentine or Dino Bravo didn't exist until mid 80s WWF. But in mm. fact, they had really long careers from about their mid 70s right through to this point and had been in WWF many times prior to that point working. So it's the same thing, but they, they present it better. So it doesn't feel like such a legacy of the old days, I think. And also further to the point as well, specifically for like me and I, I'm, I'm not speaking of term for old man. These are people we're familiar with as well. Like we we know them to be around that period. Whereas mm-hmm. like some of the people on this paper, I'm like, oh okay, they're still knocking about then. Indeed, indeed. Um, the the thing I wanted to make a note about Jim Ross is I think overall his commentary is quite good, but he makes a load of really obvious errors during the during the show. And the first one is in this opening. In fact, there's two uh, errors he makes in the opening intro. First of all, he says there's five title matches on the show. There isn't. There's four title matches. Mm. He himself corrects himself later on, but he does say it in the intro. And then he says that the first match at Starcade 1990 will be Pillman versus Landau. I'm like, hang on, this is the Great American Bash 1990. Jim Ross, what are you, what are you doing? <laughs> He's a bit all over the place. And there's another mistake he makes later on, which I will probably note when we get there. But yeah, I just noticed it. They're not littered throughout, but they're just really quite big ones that I thought were just a bit bit off. I like JR on this. I gotta be honest, and he does a lot of work. He's putting in a heck of a shift. And also, um, oh Bob, who is Bob, as I wrote at the start. Um, but you've answered all that question. Uh, his microphone is very quiet. And when they're doing the intro, he's got some terrible feedback on it, so that might be why. Yes. Going back to this thing before we go into the next match as well, on JR as well. Even for JR, the amount of <laughs> sports references <laughs> is unreal throughout this like there are some that are so obscure and boring <laughs> you're like jesus christ jim have a day off me <laughs> so the opening match features brian pillman against buddy landell and the match goes for nine and a half minutes and ends when brian pillman hits a crossbody from the top rope for the win tom i'm going to start with you what were your thoughts on this match so nature boy buddy landell is when you go around to someone's house, especially when you're a kid, you go into you go into your grand's house, and they're like, I've "Got some bourbons in." They're like, "Hello, <laughs> bourbons. I'm happy with this. I'm happy." And you get there, and they're quick save bourbons. They're not they're not decent Tesco or Sainsbury's or even dare I dare I say as the bourbons. They're the quick save ones. That's what Nature Boy Buddy Landell is. I find I find the uh, bourbon analogy a little bit difficult because bourbons are something that are quite easily re- replicable. Mm. Like if you just said you go around for baked beans and they she serves up some Sainsbury's own brand baked beans. You I'd go around just, someone's house for baked beans. Well, if you if you go around for bourbons, you may as well go around Sages. for baked beans, old man. Right, I got, I'm going to quickly nip this in the bud right now. <laughs> <laughs> I remember Quicksave Bourbons and they were shit. That's why I chose that brand. That's why I said that. That's why I said gave a list of the different supermarkets because their ones are all fine and they're they're acceptable. There isn't a in my mind there isn't a standout Bourbon because they are genuinely as you said quite easy to get right I think. But the Quicksave ones were awful and so were the Happy Shopper ones as well. So. I, uh, that's why you chose that brand. What really should have been the analogy was you go around to some to visit somebody at university uh, and they're one of someone they know plays a prank on them by coating their living room in ketchup. Uh, yes. But it's not even Heinz ketchup. 
Yeah, that, that's a true story, guys. That means he lived through. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, oh. I I have an aversion to ketchup, and that would have probably made me feel quite sick. To be honest, I love ketchup, but the the ketchup that they used was so horrible. The smell of it was so bad. Oh. It was just it was horrendous. It was horrific. <laughs> it was so good. He was on. He was. I think he was cutting such an incredible promo. A serious shoot promo, and then to round it up with, uh, and it's not even Heinz as the sign-off. <laughs> the comedy gold. And anyway, enough sucking each other off. Um, let's um talk about the match. So first start talking about those bad WCW production values. Pillman's music kicks in as he's halfway down the ramp, which is a <laughs> lovely little touch. I had a look at Buddy Landell's career. If you, tell, if you want to talk about it, nomadic. And mm. my God, he has been everywhere for no longer than like a year. And after this match, it's not really hard to see why. <laughs> As I said, you can imagine some little promotion would be like, hello, we've got the nature boy. And show like a long distance grainy picture of him. And it's like, bears <laughs> coming. This is lovely old stuff. And then he rocks up and they're like, oh, it's fucking Buddy Landell, that gorm. As you probably noticed, I haven't really got any notes about this match. <laughs> I didn't think it was very good. But Buddy Landell does an amazingly shit wound walk at one point. Um, yeah. Referee Mike Atkins has got the exact same look as Randy Anderson and Nick Patrick, or so I thought. And it wins with, basically, Brian Pillman doing a crossbody off the top rope and the referee does a very fast count. It's interesting that you said about Mike Atkins because I was like, fucking up. My note is looks exactly like Nick Patrick and Randy Anderson. Yeah. <laughs> so why is it about WWE's referees? I mean, they all have to look exactly the same. Yeah. No, it gets, gets the interview. Oh, uh, it's an interview for the role as a referee. Okay, two questions. Can you grow a tash? Yeah. How do you feel about perms? <laughs> in. You're in. Doesn't matter about your qualifications. You want to do a shit count after an unconvincing crossbody? You're in. Get in, Mike. So at this point, Jim Hurd is in charge of WCW, and clearly that was his only requirement for referees because mm. Teddy Long, who is on this show, we get mention of the fact that he used to be a referee, clearly bombed out the minute they realised he didn't look exactly like Randy Anderson and the others. And he's, and he's got a tash and a bit of a perm as well, but yeah. not enough of a tash. Not enough of one. Uh, disappointing. That's, that's, that's me on this match. <laughs> Buddy Landau is 29 at this point, and uh, Brian Pillman is 28. Now, there is a there's a big difference between their physiques, I think it's fair to say. Contrary to what Tom said, I actually thought that Landau was pretty decent in this because he just does what he has to do. He just has to sell. He's not, as JR puts it, the physique is not Landau's forte. <laughs> That's what he says at one point. I thought this was all right. To be honest, I ate did exactly what I needed to do, which was give Pillman a nice little victory over a titan of wrestling in Buddy Landau. And I suppose, like to Tom's point, he's now got a victory over the Nature Boy. And if he just says, oh yeah, I beat the Nature Boy last night, they'd be like, oh yeah, they're not going to ask which one. So it would just be like, they all think I've beaten Flair. But we know different. Landau does kind of work like, because he works quite slow, which I think I quite liked against Pillman, because he tries to like slow him down. But he did remind me of the kind of guy, he's got to mention before this, lad, that you're in the local pub and there's a guy drinking a a pint of Carlin and he's telling you stories and he won't stop telling stories and they're really boring stories and he's probably not got a shirt on. Is it you, old man? Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, i got to be honest, I quite like this. And I also like the closing camera angles that they use in this match. And this is kind of like runs through the show, gets a little bit much at times. But where they're really close, it's a bit messy, the match, but quite enjoyable. And only nine minutes. If this had gone another two minutes, I would have probably ripped my eyes out. But 
because it didn't. I stayed intact in the socket. <laughs> the extreme reactions of old man <laughs> continue. <laughs> it was all right at nine minutes, but two more and I've killed myself. Well, I didn't say kill myself. I'd have ripped my eyes out. I think you'll find that probably, would have, that probably would have done the job if I'm honest. <laughs> oh, I don't know. T- Tinky, try. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I think I'm in agreement with you, old man. I like this match. I thought it was perfectly reasonable. I actually think that Buddy Landau's heel stylings were pretty good. I think he um, showed a lot of experience and know-how when it came to that stuff. I don't know how much he read into Buddy Landau's career, Tom, but Buddy Landau was at one point, so the story goes, being lined up to be the NWA world champion and defeating Ric Flair in a battle of the Nature Boys in 1985. Mm. And apparently the original kind of reason he started working for the Mid-Atlantic promotion was that Ric Flair liked him and thought he was brilliant and really liked his work. So they were due to have a big uh, program, the Battle of the, the Nature Boys, until Buddy Landale's personal demons apparently got the better of him and he had some drink and drugs problems. And this is smack dab in the middle of all those problems. You know, he had a 10 year stretch where basically he didn't really do much. He managed to overcome them later in his career and had some success on the independence and Smoky Mountain and USWA later in his career and actually had a very brief run, I think, in WWF in 1996. But uh, by this point, obviously, he has lost a certain degree of the aura that supposedly he had earlier in his career. Can we talk just a little bit about the nature of gimmicks? It was, it was Buddy Rogers, wasn't it, who did it first, first yeah. time. And what I find so strange about, about all of this is the fact that, obviously, you hear about kind of gimmicks being modified or taken over by someone else after someone, you know, leaves the business or retires or passes on or something like that. But I find it really weird there's two at the same time. That's what I find. That's what I find really, really odd about this, and especially Ric Flair's interpretation of the Nature Boy is different to Buddy Rogers. He's still got the blonde hair and the robes and the kind of attitude, but Ric Flair very much kind of made it his own to an extent and basically borrowed elements of it and 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 added his own thing to it. Whereas Buddy Landell is just Ric Flair. <laughs> Or I think a, he, a, a copy of Ric Flair. I think or, he comes across that way in the ring, but I think on promos he's nothing like him. He's basically even with the not, hair though. The hair is yeah. No, I agree. I agree. I, I said I think from appearance and in terms of in the ring. He is. You, you're right. He basically it feels like a ripoff. But his his promo was very different. It's very very different. Very much more slower. Um, it was a much more he had a much more southern accent. Billy Landau. I saw one thing which had quoted him as almost being like the the dirty Ric Flair. If that's <laughs> if that's Aww. a kind of um, thing you care to indulge in. So I don't know if it it is weird though. And I don't I don't know if it was a straight ripoff. I think there was elements of it that was just him evolving the gimmick further. But then as things went on and as his body obviously got to this stage in his career and also when you consider he's now an opening match act whereas flair is still in the main event it feels much more like a ripoff because Mm. of just the difference in where they were in their careers but again if you put yourself in the early 80s where this territory system is is very much alive and there are at least a dozen different money-making territories across north america and they don't very often people don't very often see action from any of the other territories that are not in their area you kind of it makes it more it makes more sense that there would be very similar acts out there doing very similar things and having success with them yeah and, and you've also got the nature boy bookends for the yeah. show <laughs> yeah. yeah which is lovely so after this match we have um gordon soley 
Ooh. on the stage i think he's on the stage he's somewhere in the arena anyway and he runs down the matches that are set to take place that's all he does that's all he does he runs down some of the matches and he doesn't do it very expertly either he's starting oh, all over the place and he's not he's not very good here he's all uh, he's so bad i cannot i can't we've had this before i can't understand why he is so revered because he is dirt he is absolutely dirt Sorry, Gordon, I know he's passed away, but you are absolute crap. I just put uh, Gordon Soley being crap, really crap. That's my note for this. He also <laughs> just looks really moody when the camera yeah. comes on him as well. And I could go into this a little bit later on, but I'll, I'll do it now. So a lot, there's a lot of interview segments with Gordon Soley and other wrestlers throughout the show. And if you think back to what is happening on the other side of the country with Mean Gene, and then compared yes. to this, there's an absolute shambles. Mean Gene is... I know, I know I don't know if this was his... Well, evidently this isn't his main strength. Um, But obviously I know he's revered for his commentary. I'm not sure if he's re- as revered for his interviewing or, or uh, in-ring promo segments. But you look at the way that Mean Gene interviews people and the, the character and the charisma and just the dark oh, what guy well i think i I, I do think you're right it's very difficult to watch him here because he's really not good at this but i don't know this is quite difficult because i think you have to again you have to kind of put yourself where the business was 10 years before this and the lead commentator of the these regional shows tended to not just be a commentator they used to effectively be the host of the show so yeah. It's the same thing with Bob Calder. He would basically stand in front of a kind of little cardboard set thing, which had Mid-Atlantic Championship, uh, uh, Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling on it. And he would introduce the show, tell us what was going to be on the on the show that night. And then someone would come out for an interview. He'd interview them. Then they'd have a match and he'd commentate over the match. And sometimes they'd have a guest commentator with him in, in the color position. So basically they'd do everything. And also, I think you've got to remember that the wrestlers in general were not as colorful and not as kind of charismatic in those times. Mm-hmm. Because, again, there are so many different regional promotions that you haven't got this concentration of all the best talent in one or two places. So a straight man was really, really valuable because the idea was was he just called everything didn't show any personality so that he could get everybody else over so that they showed their personality Mm. so it was the requirement of his time and i think again if you if you judge him even by the standards of 1990 it's quite harsh because it's a different time now it's there's there's different requirements and people have seen something completely different in the wwf yeah i mean my counter argument though so i I do i do appreciate everything you're saying there mate but this isn't 10 years before this is now then yeah no i agree um and the the fact is is that that is why and do you know what i, I i'm gonna come across as a fucking massive wwe stan and that's and i am to, to, to agree but that's why wwf was so much better because they didn't hang on to the past so much they made change sometimes to their own detriment i think um and to, to and definitely got turned off some fans but the reason why is that they changed and evolved and made things better basically and 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 different and that was why it kind of stands out from the rest of it as well and that's one thing that they don't do with these i like old man said gordon Soli is awful at this as well and that's not to disparage any work they had done previously but the fact is compared to what is going on in the other major region at the time and they're completely different no i don't disagree with anything you've just said I, I just wanted to kind of put it in the context of his overall career and you guys saying oh, i don't really understand why he's so revered well it's just because different things were of different value at different times but i do agree and one of the big problems the nwa's got 
WCW's got at this early point in its life is that yeah they don't move with the times quick enough they don't up the production values quick enough they're you know it's one of the things that Bischoff often points to when he first took over was that he moved them out of these dimly lit dark kind of arenas and put them into the MGM studios and Disney because it kind of it had all the production values he needed um and you know arguably you're seeing that here with this kind of thing and gordon soley and uh, bob caudle and you know various other parts of this presentation so it is a really interesting point i just wanted to make sure that we didn't just completely shit on soley without at least uh, recognizing some of his previous um achievements I also think this is um, something we'll touch on again is that he obviously has set questions as well when he's interviewing and he doesn't have any ability to work around it. So if the interviewers, uh, there's a couple of interviews later on where the person he's interviewing doesn't really answer the question. So he just asks the question, the, the next question that doesn't have any relation to any. I feel a bit bad for Soli in this because he's clearly not used to using a teleprompter. He's clearly used to just going, hey, there's some guy here and I'm going to talk to him and then we're going to go and then we're going to move on with our lives. But we don't get to move on with our lives because he keeps appearing. So let's move into the second match, which is the Iron Sheik against our uh, own personal favourites, uh, Mike Rotunda. Uh, this Captain one, Mike. Captain, sorry, yeah, Captain Mike. I think Fuck he's playing me. some kind of um, sailor gimmick here, I think is the idea. Um, this one goes just under seven minutes and it ends when Rotunda reverses a Iron Sheik double underhook suplex attempt into a backslide for the pinfall. Uh, old man, let's let's begin with you this time. First off, Iron Sheik, great, great heat, great gut. Mm. He's, I mean, he's 48 at this point, Iron Sheik. I had to check that after the match. Iron Mike is dressed like a weirdo in a bus station. <laughs> he's got his cap pulled down really low and he's got this little jacket on. And that, oh, shaky baby, he's got his uh, Iranian flag. He's waving that around. And then before Rotunda can take off his jacket, Sheik starts attacking him. And I'm like, here we go. Here we bloody go. We're in for this. And then uh, eventually Rotunda's jacket removes. And after that, it all kind of goes to shit, to be honest. Because I think Iron Sheik blows himself up with this initial attack. <laughs> and he goes outside the ring. This is probably about three or four minutes into the ring. And he looks like he just needs a bath. He looks like he just needs a bath and a little foot rub. And he'll be all right. And he needs to get away from those all-American right hands that Mike <laughs> Rotunda is throwing. <laughs> This isn't very good, to be honest. It kind of works a little because Iron Sheik is Iranian and he plays up to the crowd. But, and this, I can't believe I'm going to say this because he's a god. Iron Mike is absolutely fucking dog dirt in this. And this is very reminiscent of actual Mike Rotunda. Like, yeah, not good. Iron Mike does deserve better than a 48-year-old Iron Sheik. But I also think a 48-year-old Iron Sheik probably deserves better than Iron Mike. So they probably should have just left it, really. It was the Battle of the Irons, anyway. Whatever yeah. the case, that's why they yeah. put this one on. No doubt about it. <laughs> First of all, I'm not going to despise the great name Mike Rotunda in the way that... Uh... Or Rotundo, whatever the fuck his name is. The first ballot random wrestling review Hall of Fame. What I will say, yeah, Old Man's right about 
Look back the cheeks guy. He's put a fucking shift in to get that going, hasn't he? My <laughs> word, what a guy. After he attacks um, Mike Rotundo, JR refers to that as a terrorist attack. Yes. <laughs> so, what? That's a bit on the nose. There's a moment in the match where Iron Sheik tries to get Mike Rotundo into an abdominal stretch, but can't quite do it because his gut's too big. And the Sheik looks like he is in agony putting it on him. <laughs> He's absolutely in agony. Again, sweating up an absolute storm in that match, as are both of them. I was just absolutely drenched in sweat, third to our man's point. And it was at this point where I kind of thought to myself, the Iron Sheik wrestles like I think I probably would, which is, it's just a series of moves, slowly getting up, to the, up from the ring, like literally like, up, sitting position, onto one knee, both hands on the knee to get yourself up into a standing position, and just generally looking fucked. <laughs> so it's very much how I wrestle. And at the end of the match, after old uh, Big Mike wins with the backside, she ain't bothered. He's still posing for the camera. Whoops, yeah. finds the camera in the corner, gives it a bit of a flex. Yeah, Iran number one. <laughs> I didn't mind this. I thought the I thought Iron Sheik throwing Mike Rotunda around was quite fun. Yeah, he's the original Suplex City bitch, isn't he? Uh, Iron Sheik, you know, mm-hmm. he's, he's like chucking him all over the place. It's great, but it doesn't last very long. It doesn't outstay its welcome. It's fine. It's nothing to. It's nothing special, and it doesn't. You're not really expected to remember it afterwards. In fact, I forgot it halfway through the next match. Yes. I forgot that it even happened. The the notes I had. Yes, I I noted Jim Ross's terrorist attack comment about um, the Iron Sheik's attack on Mike Rotunda, which I thought was well just a bit ridiculous quite frankly the one thing i wanted to say though in mike rotunda's defense here is that look at the company he is keeping so we have now covered after this match after the show sorry we will have covered 199 matches in total on the show beautiful and the company mike rotunda's keeping in the top five wrestlers of all of, of, of in terms of matches we have covered is hulk hogan chris jericho undertaker and the big show mike rotunda's smack dab in the middle of that lot in terms of yeah. we have covered seven of his matches compared to eight of of Hogan, Jericho, and Undertaker, and then six of the big shows. So he's he's right up in there in terms of the, the top wrestlers in the world, according to this mm-hmm. podcast, at least. So next up, we have some more Gordon Soley. We've got a lot of these, so I'll, I'll probably just mm-hmm. rush through them. Unless you've got any comments at all that you specifically want to make, then um, I will just blow past them. More like Borden Soley, eh? <laughs> Sorry, Borden Soley. No, no, he ain't that good. Um, this interview with Harley Race, if Flair's not up to the task, then he might get beaten. That's a strong, committed answer there from Harley <laughs> Race on his opinion on the main event. All I know is my gut reaction says maybe. Yeah, I didn't like the constant reference in these interviews to the main event. I found it very tiresome, I must say. And I think it something that would have worked a lot better if they were like backstage things and it was just like oh and, and jr goes oh and here are some people talking about a made event oh yeah and uh then it i would have kind of got on board with it but it's also it plays into sony as well like he is it's much as i don't think he's very good he is given absolute shit to work with because he always has to reference this main event and harley race wearing a lovely purple vest which turns into an absolute treat during his match yeah, he's like asking Harley Race about the main event. And Harley Race is like, I don't care. I'll go again. To steal Tom's line. He doesn't have yeah. much of a gravelly voice in this one, though, does he, old Harley? No, he doesn't. Um, Tom, wh- wh- what's your view on a less gravelly Harley Race? No, he's been on the lozenges as Harley Race, hasn't he? Uh, <laughs> Indeed. So, yeah, that was what happens. Gordon Soley is on the side of the arena. He interviews Harley Race, cuts a promo on Tommy Rich, who's his opponent for later in the night, two former NWA 
world champions and i mean former by quite some time as you said he makes some comments on the world title match not particularly charismatic from either man i've written here harley race is not very impressive so then we have the third match dutch mantel versus doug furnace and this one goes 11 minutes and 18 seconds and it ended when there's a snap belly to belly suplex by doug furnace for the victory uh tom what are your thoughts on this match so right this is gonna make me sound bad i find dutch Rantel's appearance so unpleasant that i turned it off he's 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 breaking the albert rule quite a lot here isn't he 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 has taken the albert albert rule he's broken it in half he's set it on fire this so but it's not only it's not only the back hair it is the back hair is gross the chest there is gross it's the weird baldness of his upper arms and then the rest of his arms covered in hair. It's his hairy thighs, the beard and the mullet. I had to I had to stop watching for a couple of days and come back to it. <laughs> and then yesterday I was like, oh, I need to finish this pay-per-view. And I just made myself some lunch and sat down, put it back on and immediately turned it off again because it was genuinely putting me off my food. The idea <laughs> of being in the ring with dirty Dutchman stuff. It's all about gaffer tape. He needs some fucking gaffer tape on his back, that lad. And I went ripped like, oh, it was genuinely distressing to watch. I found it very uncomfortable. <laughs> i tell you what his back looks like. It looks like that all those gaffer tape bollocks to the tables have then been taken and put onto his back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's fucking horrible. But onto the match, I haven't got much other than the hair. But Doug Furness, the world's strongest man. in the world's strongest man. That's Mark Henry. So, you know, he needs to be aware of that. There's a bit that I did enjoy where Doug Furness kicks out of a pinfall attempt by Dutch Mantel, who absolutely launches himself yeah. onto the referee. And then he starts having a go at the ref for getting in his way, <laughs> which made me chuckle. There's a weird bit where Dutch Mantel's got uh, got like an arm bar or a hammer lock, should I say, on um, on Doug Furness. And then he just starts pulling his tights. I think the, the, it's supposed to be to give you leverage, like a tights pull or something like that. But it's just the idea of him being like, get him an arm bar. Let's give him a good wedgie. <laughs> you know what I mean? See, <laughs> see if we get two signatures on at the same time and see which one the big dog can uh, can take the longest. But as you said, wins with a belly-to-belly suplex, which is a move that you don't often see winning a match, which we do again see later on, which was which was interesting. <laughs> but at that point, I was very glad that Gordon Surly wasn't on commentary because he calls them a suplex, doesn't he? he? Which oh, is very interesting yeah. as well. Well, I so, think, uh, again, I think that is, again, actually the true way you're supposed to say it. But over time... It's morphed into suplex, and now you just get suplex. Imagine if it was like souffle, souffle city, <laughs> and then yeah, then it just somehow evolved into souffle, and there are loads of people in the crowd. There's souffles out. Yeah, I, I want to go to souffle city. Quite frankly. Yeah, bloody lovely. Lovely crab souffle, lovely stuff. Oh, disgusting. That, that, that's more disgusting than Wayne Keown's back. It was Dutch Mantel's real name. Oh, okay. <laughs> Completely lost me. I thought his real name was Uncle Zebekiah Coulter. That's what I thought his real name was. <laughs> Did you say Wayne Keown? Yeah. Any relation? Martin? Uh, wait, wait, he must be. Hairy, ugly, gobby. <laughs> <laughs> Although, to be fair, Wayne is probably a better commentator on the football. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, this is a weird one, this match. Because when it started, I was like, oh, I'm all right with this. It is quite distressing to watch. I must say, I'm with Tommy. I was caught off guard by it all. I was a little bit like, oh, bloody hell. But um, they start off with this nice little story where Doug Furness is evidently a loose cannon. He's evidently, he's got a lovely little poem, but he's quite angry about other stuff because 
old dirty Dutch is trying to trying to goad him into losing control. And the commentators, are, well, I say the commentators, uh, JR is talking about it and they're alluding to it. And I'm like, you know what? They're going to get a nice little story going for this. And then they just stop talking about that. And then it just goes into just a really like mid-paced, quite boring match. And then I realised that without the threat of him losing control, Doug Furness, who I must say is one heck of an athlete, given how big and strong he is, is not much of a worker and he's not much of a storyteller. And old old Harry tries his best, but it's not very good. And at this point in the show, I'm starting to become a little bit concerned that these matches are all very similar in terms of how they're laid out. And they seem to be getting progressively, not necessarily worse, but just more familiar. So I'm starting to get a little bit like, oh, going to have trouble sustaining this erection for two and a half hours, I think. My last comment on this match that I've got in terms of my notes is quite fast-paced match, but not a lot of rhyme or reason for anything. Mm-hmm. And that's how I felt. It just felt like they were going from spot to spot to spot to move. Mm-hmm. It, there was no real story. There was no, And 11 minutes, you want something else mm-hmm. than just yeah. moves. And that's where I felt like it fell down, fell down. Because actually what they did was fine. And they couldn't look different, could they? Because Dutch Mantel is like, yes, disgusting. And, then, <laughs> and Doug Furness is the kind of guy you can imagine. He's Vince. sexy, isn't he? Well, you can imagine Vince deploying him at the time as somebody who's muscular and he's got a tan and he's quite young. And he, you imagine Vince would be all over this guy. He did obviously eventually turn up in WWF in uh, 96 and 97 as a tag team wrestler and Phil the Fun. But yeah, it's just, it's, it's quite a stark difference between the two. And I think to your point, old man, about the fact that the matches are kind of quite similar. I, I kind of agree in that they're just all very kind of fast paced. And mm. but with no real again, no real rhyme or reason. There's no yeah. stories being told here. And also the gaps between the matches are really short. So it's just match, yes. match, match, mm-hmm. action, action, action. And it's just a bit like, oh g- come on, just slow everything down a little bit. Yeah. Um I'm just a little bit overwhelmed right now. Well there's also in this match as well, and it's already happened in the Iron Sheep match as well, and it happens in at least two other matches I can think of, where the heel goes out of the ring early and has a wander around the ring. And tries to yes. slow the crowd down. And it happens about four or five times. And to what old man's point is, there's a lot of familiarity in all of these matches. And actually, there is with finishes and certain spots within the matches as well that I noticed happened quite a lot throughout this big review as well. So next we have Gordon Soley with Jim Cornette, who cuts a promo on the Southern Boys. And he asks if they are good enough to step in the ring with the Midnight Express. Any notes on this one? This is what Soli should be doing, is setting people up to then go. Cornet is on a whole different level to the people that... Mm. Well, he's only interviewed um, Racy Race at this point, aren't he? But compared to most of the people that he interviews, like Cornet, 28 at this time, wearing a fantastic suit, like fantastic. Lovely sequined tennis racket as well. Well, tennis racket cover. Yeah, this is just really... This is really good. Like, Cornet is... Very good. Yeah, I, I've got a note about that saying there was a really good promo from Jim Cornette, mm. despite the fact that he's a barn human being. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. You're going to you're gonna have to put that to one side because over the yeah. course of time, you're going to see a lot of very good Cornette promos, I would imagine, yeah. because he's a phenomenal talker. He just really mm. is a phenomenal talker. Yeah. 
Always has been. Next up, we see Harley Race versus Tommy Rich. As I said, the battle of the former NWA champions is a rematch, uh, so we are told, from when Tommy <laughs> Rich upset Harley Race many, many years before to win the NWA title. It's not quite the epic that I'm sure that one was, as this goes for six and a half minutes and ends when Harley Race rolls through a Tommy Rich crossbody from the top for the pinfall victory. And so again, Tom, to your point, we've already seen a few of these to- uh, top rope crossbodies and a couple of reverse of the top of the crossbodies uh, and we've got another one here yeah it's there seems to be a bit more about this match and i don't know whether it goes short but i actually quite enjoyed this and harley race is selling his little heart out he is doing everything he can to make old thomas rich look decent you know why he's putting in that fast pace at the beginning of the match on man he's trying to make sure he's got a place in line at the buffet later <laughs> that's great stuff top quality banter anyway back to the match at hand you ain't got bad type of buffy talk on the random wrestling review tommy rich does an incredible sell of a pile driver yes and he kind of like leaps out of the ring which i thought was lovely um yeah this is just all right this is just absolutely fine it feels i think it's because it's shorter there's a good pace to it and because it's short it kind of done outstay its welcome and i was a little bit disappointed when it does finish to be honest but i did this is the first time i've noticed that the crowd is starting to starting to wane a little bit they're starting to wane keen a little bit they're just starting to get a bit bored and i don't know whether you boys notice this but this guy was pissing me off so there's a guy directly in front of the hard camera in a blue shirt and he's holding a camera and he doesn't take any pictures with this camera he's just holding it the whole fucking show i just wanted to go oi blue shirt now (laughs) (laughs) that was the only appropriate way to end that sentence said old man yeah So who the fuck is Tommy Rich? I know you've kind of done a little bit of an explanation, but why haven't I seen this wonderful flappy mullet before? It is like <laughs> it is like someone's put a blob of delicious Wars vanilla ice cream on his head, and it's just slowly started to melt down the back of his head and onto his neck. That's what his hair looks like. Lovely stuff. Tommy um, Rich is one of the few people who was a relatively big name. I mean, I say relatively. He had he was an NWA World Champion, so that suggests he was a pretty big name at one point it's one of the few relatively big names you've never you've never seen on wwf television no. um, so he's you that's probably why you don't recognize him he was though part of the full-blooded italians in ecw for a while um oh, which really? was again part of that kind of joke that actually none of the full-blooded italians were actually italian which is the whole oh, thing. Yeah. Uh, um i like i think for to, to kind of what you both have said again because the match is short because there are 11 matches on this on this uh, pay-per-view the majority of them are quite short and don't generally tend to outstay their welcome so it's not it's not if chuck another like old man says chuck another two minutes on this and you'll be a bit like fuck me this is this is a bit much but for the amount of time that it is it's it's absolutely fine for me clive yeah i think it's um i think it's fine it's nothing special but it was never going to be these two are well past the base best and in particular harley race is just so far past his best it's untrue the best bit in my opinion of the match is the fact that Harley Race is clearly wearing some kind of leotard that he commissioned as part of his <laughs> king gimmick in WWE yeah. 
because it's still got the crown on it. And Jim Ross even kind of mocks it at one point, suggesting that Race must be a fan of the Sacramento Kings with his tights. Yes. And they don't obviously don't actually say about the fact that he was King Harley Race in WWF, but it's it's got to be, and it's really odd. It's as if you know, again, when we spoke about Harley Race before, and I was kind of saying it's quite sad. It suggests that again, he's just not doing very well financially, because no. otherwise he would surely have made or got some new tights that wouldn't have the King stuff all over it. Well, or maybe maybe at the time it was one of those things that, that was the only thing that fit him. Maybe still had his off, perhaps. Um, just a little note on Tommy Rich, because I met, forgot to mention it. One tremendous mullet, as Tommy said. Tassels as well. Love it. So he's they are fair match for the uh, NWA world title. Nine years previous, Tommy Rich wins. Lovely old job. Tommy Rich is only 33 at this point. And I was like, Tinky said then, he moves like a much older man in the ring. He looks like he's, I don't know when he started wrestling, but he looks like he's probably been wrestling for 31 and a half of those years. Because, <laughs> like, yeah, the difference in age between these two lads is 14 years. And facially, I think, probably fair. But body-wise, like, I would have had six months between them, I think. How did you? How old did you say he was at the time? Uh, he was 33. Yeah, okay. That, yeah, that makes sense. Debut 1974. So 16 ah. years prior. So that'll give you some mm, uh, yeah. indication of why his body is pretty banged up by this point. It's just in there on the finish of this match. It's obviously the reversal of the pinfall from a crossbody, which is, I believe, how Harley Racing lost the title to Ric Flair at Starcade 83. Either way, it involves a crossbody. So there you go. <laughs> I haven't seen that match. Oh, it's very boring. Well, yeah. I can't wait to cover it on this Hang show. On. Months Hang time. on. A Ric Flair match that's boring. Ooh. Raise of the eyebrow and maybe a foreshadowing of things to come. Harley Racing's middle name is Leland. <laughs> it might be pronounced Leland. But I'm going for Leland instead. L-E-L-A-N-D. Har- Harley Leland Race. <laughs> Harley Race is his actual name. Yeah. Oh, fucking what a lad. I didn't know that. <laughs> so next up, Paul E. Dangerously and uh, Mean Mark are interviewed by Gordon Soley. Dangerously has a t-shirt of Lex Luger and Mark Callas rips it up. Heyman says Callas will rip off Lex Luger's head and spit down his throat. Classic. It's big stuff, isn't it? Um, mean Mark has understandably as well, because when he's holding that T-shirt up, I'm like, there's trouble here. There's trouble at Mill because he hadn't done the Hogan trick. He hadn't cut through the elastic. So he has a little bit of trouble with this. Mm. He sells it quite well in his face. But I find it very hard to concentrate on this in particular because Heyman's mullet is rolling the roost, shall we say. It is beautiful. On a show of great mullets, we haven't even got into the great great mullets of the show yet it's right up there i gotta be honest what am paul it doesn't really give you much confidence that the undertaker or mean mark Callis is going to rip off lex luger's head when he's struggling with a t-shirt <laughs> is it you know mm, and that's really all i'm watching the show for is to see lex luger's head get ripped off and then the under- and then the undertaker just spit down his throat I do it's going to be so fucking hard when we get to cover that match to not call him the Undertaker. So let's do one more match before we go to the break. I think that will uh, kind of get us to where we need to be. The next match is for the US tag team titles and features the champions, the Midnight Express against the Southern Boys. The match ends up going for 18 minutes and 14 seconds and ends when um, Lane manages to kick Smothers in the head from outside the ring, allowing Eaton to pin him with a small package. Uh, Tom, let's start with your thoughts on this one. This match, boys, this fucking match is amazing. Yeah. I have not seen 
really any of either of the expresses the expri i don't know <laughs> i i haven't seen i haven't seen very i've seen very very little of them and what just watching this match alone i was like uh, I get it now. They are phenomenal. The Midnights. The Southern Boys play their part. Well, Tracy Smothers again, FBI, yeah. F- a member, yeah. and uh, and some other fucking bloke. Um, <laughs> uh, so, uh, one of the Armstrongs, isn't it? It's one yeah. of the Armstrongs. Yeah. Um, Steve Armstrong. Yeah. So, just a quick thing. So, I'll, I'll go through these quickly before I'll let you guys do some proper analysis on the match because you guys know more than me. But the Southern Boys' music is amazing, as is the Midnight Express music. Both phenomenal entries music. It is odd in 2021 watching Confederate flags being yes. so uh, celebrated, especially you know considering that they're on the, the tights of the baby faces. But it was just one of something I wanted to just mention because it would be remiss to not mention it because it does seem a bit odd. Jim Cornette on the side of, of this match is tremendous as well. You can hear at one point he, uh, he says to someone, "Hey, you wipe the ugly off your face, you pig-faced moron." Yes, <laughs> which is a great insult. I went to ask it. Do you think in your kind of uh, you know your your couple of weeks or whatever it was you spent with Jim Cornette? Did he did he ever say that to you? <laughs> too handsome for that to be honest but unfortunately so. not no unfortunately, i didn't i mean i didn't spend a lot of time with him i only I, I was only i was still not working for wrestle talk at that time i was just uh-huh. doing some sort of doing some well i was doing some work but not kind of working for them full time and um so i wasn't really i saw him like a couple of times and i did go on stage with him at one point like uh, like uh, springsteen calling courtney cox up from, <laughs> from stage to have a little dance that's pretty much it <laughs> <laughs> now what it was was that uh they went to cardiff for the last leg of his kind of speaking tour and i think they made him try and say the long welsh place name which by the way is and they'd written it out on a piece of paper and they needed two people to hold either side of the paper so that's uh, okay. so good <laughs> Uh, sorry, I was still thinking of you as Courtney Cox. <laughs> I need to get I need to get one of those face swapper apps and get that done. Yeah. Um, Steve Armstrong, there's a bit in the match where he's got uh, I think it might be Bobby and in, in like a again a hammerlock. Biggest smile on his face. He's so happy. He's still like yeah, and it's not just like baby face smiling, you know, because you're a good guy. He's properly having the time of his life. It's amazing. Bobby in at one point hits a top leg drop off the top rope, which looks phenomenal. It looks amazing. And it's kind of around about that point where the Midnight Express, despite being the heels, start winning the crowd over a little bit, which I should get annoyed at because it annoys me when the NXT fans were cheering the Undisputed Era. But I'm not going to because reasons. But when what one thing I really liked about it is that when Tracy Smothers is, is the one getting worked over and then he finally tags in Armstrong for the hot tag, who then just starts doing the classic, you know, hitting one Midnight Express, get up, hits the other one, gets up, all that sort of stuff. And Tracy Smothers is just sat in the corner, just looking absolutely fucked, which is how it should be. Because it really annoys me in tag matches. When you get the hot tag, one person comes in, lays in two punches, and all of a sudden the other person just recovered. Like, it takes him a good, like... 10 15 seconds before he finally and he's literally just like slumped in the corner i think that's just tremendous in-ring psychology for the match because it shows the the amount of effort that's and the energy that's been expended by him they hit the finish of their day pronouns pal as a as our, our friend conrad says the midnight express hit a finisher which is the rocket launcher which is kind of a uh yeah it's like a splash being thrown off the top rope and the false finish after that is 
absolutely tremendous. The crowd are just completely sucked into it. And then there's another one where the mid one, I can't remember who it is from the Midnight Express, gets kicked and then is in a roll, gets caught in a roll up. And again, they kick out of it. So that's when it seems normally, specifically with the way that we watch tag team matches and the fact that where I specifically am kind of indoctrinated in the way of how a WWE tag match works. I was expecting that to be the end of it. And then they kick out again. And I was properly like, I was watching it at home yesterday. And I was like, fucking hell, straight away. <laughs> I was just like, it got me. And then the match ended up in, in the manner that you said, Tinky. And I was like, that match was fucking brilliant. And I'll put that up there again with that, with the Undisputed Era versus those two bold lads from <laughs> last, the other week in NXT and against any of those matches that I love from like the mid 2000s SmackDown era. I thought this match was absolutely brilliant. It's tremendous. It's really good. Like the crowd from about, I think it was about halfway through, are electric. Because it's just great. It's just classic tag team wrestling. But like to Tom's point on a couple of things, you just don't see this very often. And there's a reason you don't see it very often. It's because it's bordering perfect, just how well they do it. Like the Midnight Express, and I know it makes a difference because they've got a manager, but they have a little strategy chat a few minutes in because it's not going well. Just like these little things that they kind of put in the Midnight Express and the Southern Lads, to be fair, that it's just really well thought out. It's not just what we've had. It's not move to move to move to move. It is, there's some psychology going on as well. And the Midnight Express are such shits. They are absolute shits as well. And the crowd still can hate them because they're so good at what they do. Tracy takes a couple of barricade bumps that are brutal the second one in particular i think it's someone runs into him when he stood on the ring apron and he jumps back first into the barricade and he sells it smothers deserves to tom's point as well about when there's the hot tag his selling is incredible and they make each other look absolutely tremendous in this both teams and i just thought this is incredible yeah, no, it's a, it's a great match. The What you talked about, the early going, the story is just really nicely done. So they kind of begin with Bobby eating in the ring and him being out-wrestled by both members of the mm. Southern Boys, and which prompts that kind of that bit where they go in to go ring uh, ringside and they're talking about strategy with Jim Cornette. Eaton gets back in, still can still gets out wrestled, and so eventually tags in Stan Lane after Jim Cornette complains about after Jim Cornette complains about the karate that uh, Steve Armstrong is doing. <laughs> he then tags in Stan Lane, who <laughs> yeah. then tries to match karate with him. Uh, they then have like that little karate bit as well, where they kind of uh, are just leading with kicks and whatnot. And then after that, it just becomes a really great match of just back and forth, fast-paced action, really good false finishes, just excellent. I agree with you in terms of the crowd. I, I don't know whether or not there seem to be a group of what you might term smarter fans these days um, that are in like on are opposite the hard cam, and they are kind of um, regularly throughout the show cheering for some of the heels. So um, I don't know if there's, there's that that plays a part into it. So, yeah, I thought overall just a really, really great match. Bobby Eaton in particular is he's phenomenal. He's a great wrestler and he's been long known. It's been long but known by a lot of people that he's a great wrestler. And it was uh, he was kept around in WCW for a very long time because he could definitely provide the quality that he brings here. But he just doesn't have the look for a WWF. And it's the kind of match, as I say, you would never see in WWF because the Southern boys are kind of gangly. They're not 
muscular they're just sort of gang gangly guys they're not in bad shape at all they look quite athletic but the, what it's said to me is these guys aren't on steroids yeah. that's what it said to me and they just look like normal humans with who are a bit more athletic so mm. it's just the kind of match you just would never see on wwf television but it, this whole thing made me think like the tag teams on here midnight express the rock and roll express the freebirds the steiners are all on this show you imagine as well the tag teams are in WWF around about this time. So you've got the Rockers and the British Bulldogs and the Heart Foundation and the Killer Bees and the Rougeos. Like the tag team wrestling of this time, just such an incredible kind of glut of amazing teams. And I haven't even said the Road Warriors at this point. And you're just like, what an incredible, you know, how incredible was tag team wrestling in those days? You're also forgetting the powers of pain and demolition. Well. My apologies for that. I should have definitely remembered them. I probably also should have included, you know, Power of Glory and oh, uh, the Young Stallions, you know, all those guys. Um, and of course, the Southern Boys. I didn't even mention them. So, you know, probably unfair. But yeah, great match. Really good. Um, really good match. And a, and a really necessary. I really needed this match because yes. I was just getting to the point where. As I say, everything was just match, 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 match. The, the There was no real story about anything that I really watched before this. There was no change in pace. Was, everything was very, very similar. And there was just not enough kind of, I don't know, like I want them to just make a bit more of a deal of the matches, if that makes any sense. Like they, they're sort of like, I, we, you know, we've talked about this before, having less wrestling on the show. That doesn't mean I want them to not spotlight the wrestling. It means I want them to spotlight the wrestling more. And as a, and enable to do that, you just have less of it and you just make it more special each time. Whereas I felt like on this particular show, we'd gone through the first four matches of the night and it was just like, wow, it's been half an hour and there have been four matches. Yeah. Just a bit too much. But then this match came along and, and was, was quality. So, yeah, really, really good. I also think as well, I, I think the part of the reason why I enjoyed this match so much it's because, as I said, I, I've got very little. I know that obviously, you know, you, you hear stories about like the, the matches that the Midnight Express had and stuff like that, but I'd, I'd never seen anything. I think I may have seen them wrestle in WWF in like 95, like, you know, when they brought the Smoky Mountain tag team belts over and stuff, but was never, didn't care. Do you know what I mean? Didn't care about it. So watching it, as I said, I was like, oh, I get it now. Do you know what I mean? That was, it, it was complete, a completely pleasant surprise at the quality of this match. Good stuff. Right, well, that seems like a pretty good time for us to take a break, but we'll be back in just a moment, so uh, don't go anywhere. Sting is just a matter of hours now before you face the champion for the title. What are your thoughts? Well, I'd be a liar, Gordon, if I was to say that I wasn't nervous. The heart is pounding right out of my chest right now because Ric Flair is a great champion, but my knee is back 100%. I've got the stipulations set just the way I want them. No disqualification. People around the ring. If I lose, I have no excuses. Rick, if you lose, you have no excuses. I am more than willing to walk that aisle. It's the calm before the storm. In just a matter of hours, this arena is going to be jam-packed with wrestling fans from all over the world to watch Ric Flair defend his title against the challenge of Sting. And what I have on is a $2,000 custom-made suit ready for the victory celebration. Tonight, Gordon Soley, 15,000 strong. They're going to see the Nature Boy walk that out against Sting, the people's choice. A man who has come back from a career and an injury to challenge Ric Flair. Hatred in his heart, he wants to be the man. Well, Sting, I've coined a phrase, pal, that goes like this. 
to be the man. You have to beat the man. And in Baltimore, Maryland, tonight, Ric Flair live, I will be the man one more time. Woo! It all remains to be seen. It's going to be a great match, no question about it. Jim Ross, back to you. Okay, welcome back. Um, up next came another Gordon Sohi interview. You'll be very, very pleased to know. It features the Freebirds who cut a promo on the Steiner Brothers. What's his name? Terry Gordon. He does a little bit of a promo, which is a little bit of nothing. And then, uh, then uh, Michael Hayes starts talking about something. And then, effectively, starts chatting about how proficient the Freebirds are with different modes of transport. He's like, I'm going to drive a car. I'm going to ride a horse. What? <laughs> what the fuck are you on about, Michael? So before we go any further, I should state that this is not Terry Gordy, who's um, Michael Hayes' tagging partner here. This is uh, Buddy, not Buddy, this is Jimmy Garvin. Gordy obviously was one of the original Freebirds, but this is a later incarnation of them where it's Michael Hayes and Jimmy Garvin. Yes. Cool. Any relation to Rugged Ronnie? I don't know, maybe. Let's, uh, let's have a quick look. Just while you're doing that, can we also point out the fact that Gordon Soley, quite understandably, to be fair, doesn't have a clue what's going on. Is evidently quite confused by the Freebirds. So we just asked them about Vader <laughs> at the end, which they completely know, sell, and then Tinky comes back with an answer. So Roddy Garvin is his stepfather. Yeah, I just found that amazing. Interesting. Yes, so uh, yeah, Jimmy Garvin and um, Michael Hayes. Then we have Vader's debut match in WCW. It is against the Z Man, who is Tom Zenk. Uh, in case you didn't know this one isn't particularly long it is only two minutes and ends when uh, vader um, hits a suplex and then a big clothesline followed by a splash and pins z-man in effectively a squash old man thoughts on this little bit well you get the whole vader entrance obviously he's wearing a what the commentators decide is a japanese mask type thing (laughs) <laughs> which has steam coming out of it, which, uh, man, bloody hell. The common, I, in fairness, this is 1990. They are very impressed by this. JR won't stop saying that it's not plugged in anywhere. It's not plugged in! <laughs> so, yeah, all right, we know. But, again, 1990, so it is quite impressive. I mean, we've talked about how WWE and also WCW have kind of ruined wrestlers. Their mystique, Vader hasn't been in America at all at this point, is how they're kind of selling it. So people genuinely don't know what they're going to get. And they get the Z-Man torn to pieces. Obviously, Tom Zink, who walked out on WWE over a pay dispute, I believe. And now he's like, I don't know, he's kind of being used as the burial for Vader, who, to be honest, I'd have watched Vader squash him for about 20 minutes, I think. But Vader's relatively um, light on the old Z-Man as well. Considering what we've seen of Vader in other matches, where he probably beats the tar out of some people, he's pretty light on him. But yeah, it does exactly what you want. And then it's done, and it's like, go on, Vader, can we have some more Vader? And to be honest, I'm rocking and rolling now. I started a bit, we've had that tag match. We've had Vader. We've had Steam. I'm in. I'm bloody in. I like the idea of the Z-Man coming down to Z-Cars, the song that Everton come out to. <laughs> the little old-timey flutes playing what sounds like the Red Dwarf theme. Well, one thing I didn't know if you guys know, did you know that Vader is £399? They say it about 15 times in the match, in the, in the very short match that it is. As you said, it's basically a squash, but the, 
the thing that is impressive about it is the entrance is really cool and and the way they kind of build it up and the fact that they kind of say like one of them's like i think bob is like i've never seen this guy before i don't know what to expect it's just quite quite cool as you said old man adds to the mystique his mask is a bit weird. It's more Mr. Wrestling 2 than yes. a pair of old pants. He's no Mr. Wrestling 2. I love Vader, but he's no Mr. Wrestling 2. <laughs> like, you're right. It's all that, that fucking splash, though, even though it's just the standing splash, looks fucking brutal. Yes. That, it does look it, look. it really knocked the wind out of you. And old, uh, yeah, Zed Cars is uh, he's off and out of here, and the, the run of Vader's starting. Yeah, I like the uh, fact that he doesn't show off too much of himself here. Like I the the instinct for someone like Vader would be to go into this and like, right, he's going to show all his power base moves. Then he's going to do the Vader bomb. Then he's going to do a power bomb. Then he's going to do the moonsault and we'll show everybody how amazing this guy is. Let's not do that. Let's just have him show the power base stuff that he can do, because when then when he breaks out this stuff later on, which is just takes him to that next level people will be really really impressed so i i like the fact that they were really quite sparing with what they showed the audience here this was just vader going in didn't need to do anything flashy because he could easily beat z-man and yeah. gave him a couple of clotheslines some stiff you know stiff clotheslines a couple of punches and then the splash the standing splash which as you say looked pretty devastating anyway so i just i appreciated that a lot and as you say old man oh, i'd like to see a bit more vader and, and surely yeah. that was the point isn't it surely that is the yeah, point. it is it's that was exactly what i came out of it with i was like i want to see more of this guy and i've seen loads of this guy and that is exactly what we should all get from a debut it shouldn't be like i don't really thought about it in the way that you've just explained tinky like where he doesn't really do a whole lot but without realizing that was exactly what i got from it i was like oh yeah i want to see a bit more i want to see what else this guy can do because z-man's a little shit what could he do to somewhere what could he do to gordon Soley? i mean he can a moonsault on him have it Soley. Interesting. Um, we are then back with Gordon Soley, who interviews. Ah, Arn- then he a moonsault on him. <laughs> he interviews Aaron Anderson, Sid, and Barry Windham. Although I had a question against Barry Windham because I wasn't certain it was no. Barry Windham. <laughs> they say that they are going to hold up the reputation of the Horsemen in their six-man tag team match later in the night. And I've also got a note that Ole Anderson is also with them, and then he says something as well. This was, <laughs> this is a bit. Uh, this is the Four Horsemen, the premier kind of group in wrestling, really, at the time even when you consider WWF didn't really have groups, in fairness. And uh, yeah, it wasn't very impressive. Just <laughs> awful. It's really awful. Like, right, Arn Anderson, since Tommy said that he looks like someone's dad, that's all I can think of when I see him. And I tell you what, boys, the more I'm seeing of these horsemen and Ric Flair, they're shit. They're crap. Groundbreaking opinions on this show. <laughs> I was watching it and I was like, I was like, Gordon said it interviews the shittest version of the horsemen. And to your point, Tinky, Ole, Arn, Sid, and someone else. This is how shit this iteration of the horseman is. Later on in their match, Sid's wearing a singlet. Yes, which is really odd. Why cover that body? That's a good point. That's a very good point. The following match is the Fabulous Freebirds against the Steiner Brothers. So this one goes for 13 and a half minutes and is one when uh, Rick hits Hayes with a belly-to-belly suplex for the pin. Tom, to your point again, they they redid a spot. What was your thoughts on the match? First of all... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the Freebirds, the greatest rock and roll band of all time. Just the ring announcer, brilliant stuff. And I got so much fucking time for Michael Hayes dancing. I think yeah. Michael Hayes might be a bit of a hero of mine. I reckon. <laughs> when the Steiners came down, all I could remember was the awful rambling Rick Steiner promo. <laughs> watched, you know, when we did uh, did the Clash of Champions, and I thought to myself, thank God we didn't have to listen to the Steiners talk. Yeah. 
Rick Steiner is so over. Yes. It's insane in this. Constantly crying. It's just because he goes, ooh, 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 ooh. And that's why, I think. But they're so over. Also, for, to Rick Steiner, he does the old Robbie Fowler, doesn't he, to uh, to Michael Hayes. He like, yes. bends over and spreads his ass cheeks like Robbie Fowler. Yeah, yeah. So. And then he bites him on the bum. Yeah. <laughs> it's just confused. You don't know Ro- Robbie on. Fowler never did that. <laughs> but, <laughs> didn't he um some lovely michael is a bitch chant from the crowd including someone's like nan who should know better this is an amazing bit uh, Rick Steiner massively oversells a punch from Michael Hayes and flies over the top rope. Yes. This is completely unnecessary. And it's at this point, there's a pinfall and Randy Anderson's got the same counting technique as Scott Armstrong. And then that ruined the match for me. <laughs> um, that's the match ruined, is my note. But there's a bit in the, in the commentary where um, I think it's probably Jim Ross who says, everyone's waiting to see the Frankensteiner and they really put over the move as a big deal. And I will say, so my memory of seeing Scott Steiner doing the Frankensteiner is that of him doing it from the top rope but he in this match he actually does it from the ground and jumps up and it's pretty impressive considering how massive Scott Steiner is that he's able to get that high it reminded me of when we talked about the Kevin Owens John Cena match and being impressed at how high John Cena can get up for the pop-up powerbomb as well um, it's just really, really impressive. Yeah, and as you said, the Diners win after after Rick Stone has a belly to belly. The second time it's won a match for the night. And it's at this point where I did a little bit of Googling and realised that the PS in Michael Hayes' name stands for purely sexy. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> Which I think we can all agree on. But yeah, I quite enjoyed this match. Again, it was it was a decent tag match. I, I really enjoyed it, like all of the specifically Michael Hayes. I enjoyed I enjoyed in the match a lot. I just thought it was a pretty decent match. I agree. And this is completely different from the other tag match because there is an incredibly small amount of actual in-ring work in this match, especially early on. It's effectively people just giving the freebird shit. Like they question Garvin's sexuality and then they do the same with Michael Purely Sexy Hayes. And yeah, and then they just get really excited for the Steiners. Like Tommy said, Rick Steiner is so they love him they absolutely love him and again jr refers to him as dog face and he's still over <laughs> he must be the ugliest man to be that over in the history of wrestling it's just enjoyable this there's not really a whole lot i don't think there's a whole lot to it in terms of like stuff that goes on but you've got the hill and face clearly defined entertaining stuff there's a nice energy running through it and i'm like we're rocking and rolling here after a slow start, we've picked up the train. I'm on the Midnight Express. I might stop at the Rock and Roll Express later on. We'll see. But yeah, yeah, go on, lads. Yeah, a good match. I thought overall pretty decent. The the questioning of their sexuality is quite stark at one point. There's a mm. group of fans who are chanting a gay slur mm. at Hayes and Garvin. The camera seems quite interested in highlighting it as well, which is why I mentioned it. it wasn't kind of... Yeah. To the side, it was a lot of people chanting it at the yeah. Freebirds. The Steiners are just really impressive, though. Like, the, I love the way they work. I love, like, this again, suplexes all over the place, similar to Iron <laughs> Sheik, but just better and more modern and <laughs> kind of. And then the Frankenstein is the, it is the most overmoving wrestling at the time. No doubt about mm. it. It is the most overmoving wrestling. So I really, yeah, I really enjoyed it. It wasn't amazing, but I felt this was a really good um, little tag match. And again, I was just like, look, look at this tag team division. It is just stunning. Like, really, it is just stunning. There's just basically all the biggest names in tag team wrestling all together at once, with the exception maybe, you know, on this show, for, for example, of the Road Warriors. And then, of course, the ones that are off in WWF. But just a wonderful tag team division. Mm. 
uh, further to Old Man's point at the beginning about the basically the, the opening of the match again, though it's another opening match where the Freebirds or the Heels, shall I say, just wander around outside the ring and get heat. And this is the at least the third time that's happened at the beginning of a match in this pay-per-view as well. Yeah. And then the belly-to-belly suplex at the end makes mm-hmm. me think that there's one very lazy booker <laughs> on this. <laughs> Well, I also think that this is a problem where maybe where you have 11 matches on a show. I think, getting ahead of ourselves, my whole thing certainly about this first half of the show is there's just too many matches and there's mm-hmm. just not enough space between them. Just give them all a little bit more gravitas by just giving us, for example, all the interviews, except for one towards the end, are pre-match interviews. There no, There's no yeah. post-match. There's no reflection mm-hmm. upon what just happened. And that's a mistake. You want to, to make the match feel really... Uh, important you want both you want kind of people going into it and telling you how they feel about it and then what they feel about coming out of it having lost or won whatever the case so it just i think you snip two matches off of this show and give them all a little bit more space to breathe and you have less chance then of of duplicating the things you're doing in the matches as well so that was that was where i think they they had a problem here at ringside jim ross and bob caudle hype up Halloween Havoc, the next WCW pay-per-view. And then we get a six-man tag team match as the four horsemen trio of Arn Anderson, Sid Vicious and Barry Windham take on Junkyard Dog, Paul Orndorff and El Gigante. El Gigante is very popular uh, with the crowd as he comes to the ring. We get this match goes for nearly nine minutes and the referee ends the match when he decues the horseman for throwing Junkyard Dog and Paul Orndorff out of the ring, denying El Gigante the chance to get in the ring with them and take them on. Uh, Let's go with you, old man. Your thoughts on this one. Who's asking for this shit? Like, we just had a, 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 a three three decent matches, and then you've got these guys. Sid is oddly showing off a t-shirt just before the match. He's holding, <laughs> yeah. he's holding it up to the faces. I'm like, what's going on? Um, Alicante lives up to his name. Well, to be honest, his name should have been fucking enormous, because he is <laughs> massive. I find this really hard going anyway. But all anybody wants is fucking enormous to get in the ring. That's all they want. They want to see this guy in action and they want him to go and he doesn't get in. And it doesn't make any sense to me why you have the match when the main selling point, especially given this is a pay-per-view, why isn't fucking enormous getting in the ring and actually like demolishing some people? I know they want to protect the horsemen, undoubtedly, the trifecta of horse lads, but he can at least come in and whack some people around and then some that happen. It was just not very good. The best thing about it, to be honest, was the fact that I realised that Junkyard Dog's real name is Sylvester. And that was it. This took the wind out of me cells, this match, because I couldn't, like I said, the last three matches have had nice little things running through them. This doesn't have anything, and I don't know why it's happening. They've evidently got some beef with what seems to be a cobbled together team, but I don't know why, and I'm a bit like, why do I want to watch Junkyard Dog, Paul Orndorff wrestle, really? And I don't. And then I think, do I want to watch Arn and Barry wrestle? Not particularly. And I don't want to watch Sid wrestle in a tag match. I want him to be beating people up. I don't want him wasted in this. And I don't really want Alicante anywhere near a wrestling ring. But if he's going to be there, get him in. Get him in. Have a good time. <laughs> yeah, but but they don't. So shall I? I don't I don't know where the match is happening. Shall I give you some context on old El Gigante? F- fucking enormous. 
sorry, because we obviously know that he later goes on to be a giant Gonzalez in WWF. But the reason he became a wrestler is actually because he was a basketball player playing for mm. the Atlanta Hawks, which was owned by Ted Turner, who obviously owned WCW as well. And as a consequence of the fact that he had an injury, he was offered a job in WCW by Turner just to give him something to do effectively because he no longer could play basketball. And I think this is why they don't put him in the ring because mm-hmm. I think they've kind of been given this player by the owner who doesn't really know how wrestling works. He likes it, he likes wrestling, but doesn't really know how it works. And they've been given this guy and they said, he said, use him. So the way they've tried to use him is to go, right, well, we'll kind of make it a thing where we none of the heels will fight him because he's too big. And so as a consequence, he just never gets to wrestle because he's just not a wrestler. It's just He's never been a wrestler. He's not trained really to be a wrestler. And I think that's probably why you don't see him wrestle in this match, even though they have booked him in the contest. And if you look at him as well, like... He needs to he needs to get in the weights room because his arms yeah. are just so like unimpressive. I've got bigger arms than L he can take. There's a there's a there's a key problem there, which is the guy can't wrestle. You can tell he's not a wrestler by just his face, his facial expressions. He's just blank the entire time, yes. like he doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't know when to he doesn't know when to like I don't know, make himself look fierce, he doesn't know when to not that he would look scared, but he doesn't know when to react to anything. There's a an incredibly amazing, unenthusiastic guy holding up a Sid Rules sign. Yes! It is phenomenal because he looks so unimpressed. He looks as unimpressed as I felt during this match. I know it's an expression I use quite a lot, but this match is awful. Summed up by the fact that Paul Orndorff is missing some letters on the back of his tights. So no, he's not. Mr. Mr. Wonderful, it says Iderful. No, one. One. Ah. Because I had this on another show that we did and I was, I was going to mention it and then it tweaked in my brain. I was like, I ain't falling for that shit. Stupid. Oh, <laughs> By the way, silly. It doesn't look good. Have either of you two heard Mr. Wonderful's mid nineties yes. WW music? Yes. It is the best music in the history of professional wrestling. I uh, shit you not. Better than William Regal's Real Man's Man. It is phenomenal. No, it's it's not better than Ravish and Rick Rude or Two Cold Scorpions. I mean, better on a different level, in my right. opinion. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I th- one thing that I will say was quite good about this match, there's a bit where Owen Anderson does a tremendous job at looking how fucking terrified he is of Owen. Yes. There's a bit where they go, they go outside of the ring, and they're like, he's just there, and they all run around, and you'd see Owen Anderson go, he's huge! He's <laughs> <laughs> something like this, that made me laugh. Um, junkyard Dog. Oh. Bless, bless him. It's fucking dreadful. Awful, specifically in this match and at this stage in his career. We talked about him being bad at the first episode of Saturday Night's main event in 1987. And this is three years down the line from that. Not even 1987, 1984 it would have been, wouldn't it? 1985. Yeah. And this is five years down the line from that. And he looks like he's only just got worse. And it made me feel quite uncomfortable watching him because he needs to retire at that point. And going to what you said about Harley Race, I get big, I need to wrestle because I've got no money vibes from Junkyard Dog in this match. And also, what I will say, imagine having El Gigante's agent because not a bad night's work for him. Go out there, stand around, go, get paid. Yeah. I could do that. (laughs) A little note on Sylvester, JYD, he just doesn't sell anything. And it's not, a character thing. He just doesn't sell anything. So he's getting punched and he's just stood there. He's not even pretending mm-hmm. that he's doing anything. It's really weird. And this happens again later in the show. And I just find it really crap. It's just like completely no selling everything. 
I think with JYD, it's a co- consequence of a time in wrestling where wrestlers didn't need to be rounded. They didn't need to have multiple skill sets or be able to play multiple roles. They weren't expected in the main even to turn from babyface to heel or vice versa. It was basically this is your gimmick. This is your, this is what gets you over. Go out there and do it. Have your match, the match you know how to have, and then get out of there. And if it resonates with the crowd, then great. If it doesn't, never, you know, well maybe you need to change something. But ultimately, Junkyard Dog's act did resonate with the crowds, where he, you know, where he was first became a star in Mid South. He then was also quite a big star, well actually a very big star in WWF in the mid 80s. So he'd had no reason to do anything else. There was never going to be a point where someone turned around and said, JYD, we need you to turn heel and you know take on this entirely different persona. Just wasn't the done thing at the time jyd had the thing that made him his money and he did it very well and so when you're when he's in a position where now he's kind of halfway down the down the card you're not going to really get him to sell much because that's not what brought him to the dance that's not what he does it's not his act he doesn't have that multiple kind of faceted dimension to what he can do he does one thing he does it well and that's all he's ever going to do and it's just the way the wrestling business worked uh, at, at that time and so I think that's what it is with him. I don't know who else you're talking about in the future, but in terms of him, I think that's probably where that comes from. The other thing you said as well, though, old man, about Sid Vicious in a onesie that he's in here, leotard kind of thing. It's not just that. It's also the fact that El Gigante's main quality is that he's very tall and that's really Sid Vicious's biggest impressive thing as well so putting him here you're like you're taking away really the main thing that Sid relies on to make him different which is that he's really really tall they Mm. didn't even have a bit where the two of them squared up to one another and kind of to show how big El Gigante really was so again I thought like all of that was just missed opportunity like it just completely nullified the value of Vicious in the match but then also they didn't even do the comparison which I thought was the the only other thing that they could get out of doing that so yeah i just think it was a bit pointless really but i think that sums up nicely pointless Next up, Gordon Soley interviews Lex Luger. He tells Paulie Dangerously not to get involved in his match. He also says that he thinks Sting will beat Ric Flair in tonight's main event. Now, that's your point, old man, about them always talking about the main event. Um, there's just one bit. You've covered everything that happens in the promo. It's not a good promo, but there's just a bit where uh, Lex Luger just runs his hand through his hair, which yes, you know, was very lovely. odd. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's like, oh, I've been asked so soon. <laughs> and and uh, Gordon Soli then says, excuse me, do you use Timothy? <laughs> I literally yes. had just thought that same thing. I literally had just thought. <laughs> yeah, I, wasn't, I wasn't going there with that. I genuinely wasn't. And I just thought about it. So, yes, there we go. I got it in. <laughs> so, yeah, not a particularly good promo from Luger. And we're talking about. So I want to kind of address what you said earlier on, uh, old man, about them constantly talking about the main event, because I, I understand why it, it's kind of a little bit um, annoying. But actually, I thought it gave the main event a little bit of build up that I pra- we, I felt perhaps we were lacking because we obviously were watching this in isolation. We haven't seen what's come before. And WCW don't do the job that WWF do majority of the time, which is to show the story that's happened previously so it gives you that context so i like the fact that we were building that match up a lot you know in, at least in terms of the fact that everyone's talking about it and it's the big match rick flair versus sting oh you don't mind that they're that they're building up to it but what what kind of makes it kind of lose a bit of gravitas and i think to old man's point about it it kind of just seeming a bit repetitive so they don't talk about the things that have happened beforehand 
So obviously the storyline, from what I gather, is that Sting got injured by Ric Flair and the Horsemen. But no one's saying, oh, well, I remember when the Horsemen did these, this despicable act on Sting and ruined him, like, injured him, and I'm looking forward to him coming out and getting revenge. It's not. It's just entirely focused on the match and not the actual storyline building up to it. I also think that Luger is the one person that they should be asking because he's obviously tagged with Sting. So it makes complete sense. It's the asking people... And what um what they obviously expect they're shoehorning the references to the main event in as well. It's not like a natural thing. Like it's so like they're talking about that in isolation and then talking about other stuff in the other interviews. I don't have a problem with them doing it once or twice, but for every interview, it's a little bit like, oh, come on, lads. And also, it's Gordon Soley and Lex Luger, so I just want them to talk about something as long as to get it over and done with as quick as possible, really. So, Lex Luger is up next in the next match against Mean Mark Callis, and the match goes for 12 minutes and ends when Luger prevents Mark's heart punch, which is his finisher at the time. He then knocks Paulie dangerously down and then pins Callis after a close line. Oh man. This is very strange. So you have Luger is holding me Mark down with an arm behind his back for quite a while and this is the start of the match and I'm like you've got me Mark he's a big old unit he's not as muscular as Luger but he is taller than him and I was like so you've got this guy who's seen as a threat he's a big like I said he's a big old guy and he's been held down with an arm behind his back I'm a bit like this isn't starting as I particularly would like it to to be honest this is a classic Luger match isn't it it's just not very good and you've got like me Mark does a couple of little moves that will become Undertaker tropes. So he does like what would become old school walking across the top. And um, it's very bitty. It's this match could have definitely done with having a couple of minutes taken off of it. I think I think if this had been seven or eight minutes, it would have probably got away with what's in there. Um, poorly dangerously tries his best on the outside. I don't like the talking on the phone. I never have when I've seen it, but that's just a personal preference. And then you've got Mean Mark Callas losing by a, uh, to a clothesline. I'm like, I've never seen anybody lose a match to a clothesline. And yet you've got this big motherfucker losing to a clothesline. Clothesline from hell, mate. Yeah, but this isn't a clothesline <laughs> from hell. It's just very weird. And I think to your point, Tiggy, that this was one of the matches that they probably could have just cut all together. But that's a personal thing because I dislike watching Luca try and have a match. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I'm not a big fan of watching Luca try and have a match either. This is for the US title, which I didn't mention previously. Mm. So it is one of the three big title matches of the night um, yeah. that, end, that ends the show. Yeah, I also didn't really get that mean mark was much of a threat to luger it didn't really come across that anyone was really worried that that luger was going to lose the belt to him and and also to be honest like this is early mark calloway before he's had such a storied career he's not very impressive looking like he's you know, he doesn't look that great. And, uh, you know, he's, he's okay. He's in the ring. It reminded me a bit of Adam Bomb, if I'm honest, in terms of his... Oh, just- go on, Adam <laughs> Bomb. Now you're fucking talking. Just in terms of the, you know, how big he is, in terms of, you know, in terms of his size, in terms of his offense, in terms of the fact that he's quite fast, that's how, how I felt. But it wasn't like I was like, this guy's really impressive. I can see why he's going to go on to have a multi-decade career when he where he ends basically as one of the biggest stars that business has ever seen. It just didn't come across to me. So, you know, I just thought, 
yeah, it, it was okay. It didn't wasn't terrible, but it was ultimately Lex Luger, so it can't be that good. I know why you uh, why you can think that uh, mean Mark Callis isn't a threat because he walks down to the ring and assless chaps, <laughs> Undertaker and assless chaps. What's that all about? What old man said about getting Undertaker and a hammerlock? He does that and then he thrusts it a little bit like he's humping his yes. back. Yes, <laughs> so he's very forgot. very huh? weird. Um, but yeah, yeah, it was it was very sexy indeed. Um, but you, what you were saying, uh, Tinga, I'm glad you clarified because I thought it was the hard punch. <laughs> so he's going to hit him with the hard punch. And that was what I thought they were saying. I was like, what a fucking move that is. But uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's gonna hit him with the hard punch. Ooh, all right then. Why not do that at the beginning? Waste all your energy on soft punches. Hit him with one hard punch, you're done. Which ultimately, think about it, that was what the big show managed to get away with for a while, didn't it? So True. it's not that um not that ridiculous. Yeah, it's just shit. Lex Luger is fucking shit. He's gotta be one of the worst wrestlers to have held reasonably high positions on the card than anybody else I can think of that is so awful. Not only just in the ring, but just his general understanding of how to be in a wrestling. So not just technically, but the psychology psychology behind a wrestling match and promos everything he's the total package of shit <laughs> well he, he's just a look he's just a look that's all he is he's got a very very impressive physique and i think it just blinded people promoters more than anybody else to his value over and over and over again it's incredible how many chances he gets to be a main star in a big promotion and i don't think he ever really managed it and i don't think he was very good at any point and the best thing that lex luke has ever done is wear that incredible shirt on his return to nitro in 1995 yes yeah <laughs> i think if he had got over and was a massive massively popular and became a massive star somewhere and earned loads of money for a company i could accept that he wasn't that good because you would obviously you'd go with it if it was making you money but he's never even done that he's never even really been a draw so yeah Beggar's belief. No idea why. Cack. We have another backstage interview. This time, though, it's from earlier in the day. It is once again, though, by Gordon Soley. And he is with Sting. Sting says that he has no excuses if he loses tonight's main event because his knee is fully recovered and he has the match that he wants, which is no disqualification. Uh, any thoughts on this one? Well, it's just all about the match and nothing about the storyline. Again. Yeah. Well, they did. They did mention know, that he has mentioned the knee at least this time. Yeah, but he doesn't mention how he got it, why he wants revenge on the person. He's just—it's just all matches too sports orientated, which reminds me that's a bit daft. But if you're trying to build like up this big main event between these two people who've got this feud, and one of those person put them out of action for three months or whatever, then you should should at least reference it, shouldn't you? Yeah, I think there's a problem in terms of the way that they are framing this match i don't think it's necessarily about the personal nature of it so much i do think that there's the sports-based nature of the match that's more important and what wcw is shooting for but if you're going for that you want to link it back to the last year not just back to the knee injury because they've had a match when knee, when rick flair wasn't champion and sting has won and so this is the first time sting's facing him for the title well it's not the first time he's facing him for the title but it's the first time he's got a chance of winning the title since that point, since having beaten him for the first time ever. And so there's this like year long sports oriented story between these two. And they just haven't gone there. They just haven't given you filled in the gaps. They've just talked about the fact this is a world title match and Sting's going for the title and he suffered a knee injury a couple of months ago and it was at the hands of the horseman. There's not been enough about everything else as well. So I just think, I don't mind them going for the sports aspect of it. I just think they need to link it back to their previous encounters and what's happened mm. between them in those previous matches. And also, like, it's not, to my mind, it's not really explained why there's going to be some stupid fuckers stood around the ring. It's like, like there's no... Well, we'll get to the main event, but that whole thing didn't really seem to make any sense to me. You've just 
ban people from ringside, wouldn't you? It's just easier mm. than trying to make this convoluted thing where you've got someone handcuffed to someone else. And, and not in a sexy way. Well, let's, let's get there because uh, that, that that doesn't come up during this interview either. So then we, we then get the match for the tag team titles, Doom against the Rock and Roll Express. So this match goes 15 and a half minutes. It ends when Butch Reed is run into Teddy Long. Uh, and then as a, afterwards, Reed is hit with an insecurity by Gibson. However, because the referee is distracted, there is no pinfall. Then as Gibson goes after Teddy Long, uh, Butch Reed climbs to the top rope and hits a top rope shoulder tackle for the pin on Gibson. Tom, your thoughts on this one? I'll be honest, I struggled with this match a little bit. I wasn't really feeling it that much. I think, I don't know, I think I was just feeling a bit fatigued at this point, but it was it was fine, it was all right. I did like the fact that two proper tag teams I'm putting out there. Now, I know we got that, obviously, with the uh, with the uh, Midnight Express versus the Southern Boys, and to be fair, with the uh, with the Steiners versus the Freebirds, but what I liked about this is matching attire, both got a name, lovely stuff, big fan <laughs> of that. Um, there was a bit in it where the announcer said there's 10 minutes left, and I was like, oh god, we're going to a draw, aren't we? We're going to a time limit draw. Thankfully they didn't, but that was the only time I noticed it during the entire pay-per-view. I don't know about you guys, maybe because they nah. didn't get it. Maybe because if it get past the, the you know the time limit or whatever, they do it a couple of times. But it is, I think it like you said, it's just purely because they don't go over ten minutes very yeah. often. Budry hits an elbow drop from the second rope on Ricky Morton, and it looks like the most painful thing in the entire world. <laughs> he just he just goes full on him, and yeah, the, what what you were saying about the ending, the bit that made me amused by it is, it's, yeah, Budry does a massive oversell from an insecurity. Is what it is. He gets insecure and then he throws himself across the ring <laughs> and into Teddy Long, who takes a hell of a bump over the top rope and in. Yeah. To a fair to him. I, I've got hardly any notes on the Rock and Roll Express other than the fact that Robert Gibson looks like an absolute nerd. Um, <laughs> and um, the shoulder tackle from Butch Reed looks to Morton looks like it's an absolute killer as well. Yeah. But uh, I, yeah, I didn't really, I, I wasn't really into this match, to be perfectly honest. It, it didn't really do anything for me, I'm afraid. Sorry, guys. I completely agree. And I feel like since the six-person tag, the little momentum that this show had built up is kind of gone. And I realise why. And this is why I keep referencing the interviews and how they keep talking about the main event. JR says it explicitly in this match very early on as well, before that's gone. So we're counting down the minutes to the main event. And that is exactly what this match felt like. And there's not there's not a whole lot going on. I've got to be honest, Doom are absolute shit. They're not shit, but JR sums it up quite nicely. They're high impact, but low risk. And they really are. And they really play up to that, apart from with the finish, where he dives headfirst off of the top rope. But it's just boring. There's nothing to get anybody going. The one thing that woke me up was Teddy Long's bump. And that kind of woke the crowd up as well. This is kind of where I felt before the first tag match. So I was hoping the main event was going to wake me up because I was st- they were starting to lose me again. They seem to have little, it's kind of split into like 30, 40 minute chunks this show where bang average, very good, bang average. Now I'm hoping the last half hour to be very good. Yeah, I, th- I thought it was okay. I agree with you though. I didn't, I wasn't particularly taken with this. Uh, pretty average. And I think 15 minutes is probably too much. I think also for the fact that this is the power team against the high-flying team, I just felt it was a bit too long for that match to play out. The best moment of this match for me was when um, JR says, his mouth is so big he could whisper it in his own ear when he talked about, <laughs> about Teddy Long, which was, uh, I thought, a good a good moment. 
but yeah, other than that, I wasn't over overly impressed. I thought it was fine. It was it was just not that great. The fans were also very quiet for this one. Strangely quiet, given that we're talking about the Rock and Roll Express, one of the most popular tag teams of all time, and and Doom, who not very much longer after this maybe a year or two ron simmons becomes a world champion so um you know they obviously felt like there was big things awaiting him quite weird that his name's ronald is it yeah he, he doesn't look like a ronald so we get one last gordon Soli interview actually it's not one last yeah, i was Soli. gonna say you've, but you've the, got it yourself there there's a penultimate gordon Soli interview <laughs> with rick flair before the they he, he conducted it before the show so it's in an empty arena and it's a pretty pretty standard Ric Flair promo. I didn't actually pull out any notes from what he said because it was pretty much what Ric Flair always said. Unless there's something, anything you guys want to talk about? Just It's just notable the difference in energy uh, from Ric Flair than any other people apart from Jim Cornette. So whilst there isn't anything groundbreaking in, in what Ric Flair is actually saying, there's a bit more high energy, it's a bit more up-tempo, you know, there's a bit more charisma and character in there than there has been in a lot of these other promos. I'm convinced more and more that I see he's not very good. Yeah, I don't think it's a very good promo, to be brutally honest. But I, it's not bad. It's not bad. But for a guy with the rep that he has, there's nothing to it. And also, it doesn't, to the point that both of you have made, it doesn't sell anything in the match. I want a, I want a reason to care. I want a reason to care. Because, to be honest, it's a match between two people I don't particularly rate very highly. And I want a reason to care. And they've not given me anything to go with apart from a slightly bad leg. I think we're going to have a bit of a conversation about Flair in this for this one. Because I've, I've got something about this that I'm kind of interested to hear what you think about. We get then a bit of pre-match hype and speculation from Jim Ross and Bob Caudle about the match. I think they probably sort of explain some of the things that are going on. So mm-hmm. we have the Steiner brothers. We also have Paul Orndorff and Junkyard Dog all at ringside. They are apparently being put there by Jim Hurd to ensure the four horsemen do not get involved in this match. We're also told that El Gigante will be handcuffed to Ole Anderson <laughs> during the match, assume again, to prevent him getting involved. This is the other mistake Jim Ross makes, though, because when he's talking about this, he says El Gigante will be handcuffed to J.J. Dillon during mm. the main event, which is well, obviously what happens so again it's a really quite big mistake to make because jj yeah. dinner's not even a part of this in fact he's probably in wwf by this point so it's really <laughs> really strange sting comes out and one note i've got about his entrance is that the, and we see this throughout the show but this is the one that made me comment for the first time is that the camera behind the wrestlers as they enter yeah. the arena is kind of strange quite interested don't dislike it but it's kind of odd we don't usually see that the problem is that you see, you see the cameraman walking backwards and his tremendous mullet. And again, that's something they'd never do in WWE because they try as much as they can to see to not see the cameraman. Mm. I, I don't necessarily I thought, mind that, though. I don't mind that you see the cameraman. The initial visual when Sting walks out behind him, where he silhouetted, is very good. I, I, I enjoyed that just because it gave, like, this guy is returning after what is apparently a career-threatening injury, which we've now been told. It's very serious by the sound of it. And he's returning, and you can see the, like, however many thousand people there. And it's like, oh, yeah, they're excited to see him. Glad someone is. Well, it must have been about five months, because this is obviously in July, and the injury apparently was in February of the same year. So 
it's been a while. That is five months. Good lad. <laughs> it's been a while <laughs> since we've been around. The match itself is for, as we know, the World Championship, the NWA World Championship at the time, and goes for 16 minutes, almost dead on 16 minutes. The end comes when Sting hits the Stinger Splash, then puts on the Scorpion Deathlock. At that moment, the horsemen run to the ring, but the baby faces who have been placed around the ring stop them from getting involved. Flair then makes the rope, but the match continues and we get a near fall from Sting after he gets a backslide, which kind of ties into one of the ends of the previous matches in the show. In this case, though, I think quite positively, I would say. Um, Sting then misses a knee in the corner. Flair then tries to apply the figure four on Sting, but Sting reverses it into a small package to get the win and win the title. Uh, Tom, let's start with you. What were your thoughts on this one? Well, for a start, my first thought, so Rick Flair's hair looks like an Italian meringue. <laughs> And rather disappointingly, Nick Patrick is the referee. It's the only, it's the only match that he's been uh, called to officiate. It's such a big deal. No touch, no hair, no curly hair. Very <laughs> disappointing. So which renders my initial point about the referees all looking to completely void and null now, which is very disappointing. I think they had him shave and have a haircut, especially yeah. for this match, because they yeah. wanted to differentiate. Because they make a point of it as well. They go, this is the first time Patrick's been on the show. He's been aligned, own, assigned only this match because it's so important. Old man has touched on the no setting earlier, and I don't want to steal a thunder about this, because I'm, I'm assuming it's going to really, he's going to be spitting feathers about this. But at what point does Sting decide not to sell stuff? It's really weird. Like, you know, at least when you had like Hogan and Warrior doing it. It was the end of the match and it built towards the end. How is it, however, this seems to happen sporadically through the match, which is which is very, very strange. It's not a great match. I'm not I'm not as down on flair as as old man is. But I still don't think it's great. But the problem is I just think that I just think that Sting's really shit as well. I, I'm really not a fan of him. I hate his sharpshooter or fart shooter, as I called it earlier. <laughs> and I think there's a bit of an issue in regards to the the kind of finish because I find the the brawl outside is too is too distracting from what goes on in the ring. I find it really hard to keep up. And now I know that kind of does tend to happen at times. Like I think that the biggest one that I could think of is probably the DX versus the Corporation brawl in the match in which Mick Foley wins the title from The Rock. But that's all kind of just happening in the background and it's not really focused on, whereas the cameras and the direction is all focused solely on the brawl. And you don't really know what's happening in the ring. I think that's a poor choice from the way that it's presented. But overall, it, it was it was an all right match. And I don't know how you want to talk about the interviews and stuff after, Tinky. If we, do we go, should I go straight into it? Or should we talk about the match first and then go into the post-match? Let's, let's just stay with the match for the minute. Old man? It's okay. I found the no-selling by Sting. Not the first the first little phase that he has of it. Absolutely fine with that. Because this is a guy who is... And I think JR does, I can't remember what, exactly what he says, but he does a good way of covering it. And this is like a guy who's like Tiggy, so he's waited five months. He's not had a match for, and he's waited almost a year to get this match with Flair for the title. Completely get it. But for him then to sell some and then not sell others, it's very confusing. And I also think that they're putting over Ric Flair as the greatest world champion of all time. And you've got a guy in there completely no-selling stuff that has beaten a lot of people, which I didn't really understand. I can't figure out if I didn't like it or whether I just didn't understand it, but it also feels a little bit... And this is what I was really surprised about with this match. I I don't think it's a bad match at all, but it feels like they're filling a lot, and it only goes 16 minutes. 
Now, for the first 10 minutes, it seems to be filler, but the last five minutes or so are electric because of the crowd. There are legitimately the whole arena, I think, apart from that miserable cunt with the camera in the front row and the blue shirt, are stood up and they're going absolutely nuts for the last five minutes. The running by the horsemen, I actually, I understand, it's kind of how it's laid out, isn't it? Because the stage is level with the ring, it's really hard for them not to be a distraction. But I think they kind of get out of the way pretty quickly. I think that kind of kind of works. Um, they focus a little bit too much on like Elegante being with Oli Anderson. I don't really, I don't, I don't get that. I don't, I didn't get it at all at the time. But in terms of the match, I think it's decent, and I think the end is probably what you'd expect. I think. I don't think it was ever going to be Sting. And to, to my mind, you might, you two might know better than this. Has Sting kind of got an impact finisher that would finish someone, or is it purely the, the the fart shooter? He's got a scorpion death drop. I don't know though if it was a movie had at the time. Mm. I think that came later. I don't know. I don't know if it was a finisher either. To be honest, I don't know how many yeah. people be finished. I don't know if that was just like a signature move. So I, I thought the end was, like I said, I thought the last five minutes is particularly good and quite exciting. And they get exactly where they want to get in terms of how the crowd are and how the crowd react to Sting. At the end, Flair to his credit. Scott Steiner could have taken note here. Flair out the ring straight away, lovely. Give old, uh, give old Sting his moment. Scott Steiner jumps in at the end, almost steals Sting's thunder. <laughs> <laughs> which i mean he's excited you can blame the man but yeah decent decent enough and like i've alluded to two guys i don't particularly rate in terms of the matches in particular from this time that i've seen of them about as good as i was expecting so yeah i'm all right with that i thought the match was good i i think it was uh, i enjoyed it quite a lot Flair is supposed to be this absolute all-time great. And in all the things that I've seen, we've done, and other stuff I've done, I've never understood it. I've never got to the point where I think yeah, Flair's a good wrestler. He's had lots of good matches. His matches are invariably decent. They're never bad. His promos are fine. But nothing ever seems to match up to the this guy is the best wrestler of all time billing that he has had so often amongst so many people. Until I saw one thing towards the end of the match, and it kind of flipped a lot for me. After Sting has had the Scorpion Deathlock on Flair, the horsemen come out and they are stopped from getting in the ring. And then Flair manages to get out of the Scorpion Deathlock, and then Sting misses the knee into the corner. And at that point, there's a look on Flair's face, which told a load of story all in one go and i just was like okay wow that's flipped my opinion of flair quite a lot because the look tells you that he is he can't believe his luck that sting has missed that knee because he is done he is finished there's nothing left he's got nothing else he can't go anymore he's knackered and he's been beaten down so much sting almost won the match with the scorpion deathlock the horsemen have been neutralized and yet stings made this rookie error missed the knee in the corner and now flair thinks in his mind he's going to win because all he needs to do is put on the figure four leg lock it's a, a look a realization that he's gotten away with it that he's still going to win the match despite everything and then, of course, Sting reverses the figure four and puts him in a small package. But it just it was just that moment, this one 
facial expression that said this is a real fight this is actually a sporting contest it's one thing to simulate the con the combat which is what the whole thing about professional wrestling is it's another thing to simulate the emotion of the combat mm. and that's what he did he simulated the idea that he was relieved that he was now going to win despite everything that had just happened and i just thought it was very very special that moment i was just like that is so impressive it's probably quite subtle but it mm. really spoke to me when he did it i like the match i thought that the overall i think that this was it made me evoked a very similar feeling not because of the people coming in at the end of the match just to, to congratulate sting but it gave me a similar feeling to Bret Hart winning the title of WrestleMania 10. It felt like mm. a moment that meant something. It, I'm not saying it was like, it didn't feel to me like it's emotionally important, but generally it felt emotionally important to the crowd. And so it felt like that moment where they were crowning the star of WCW mm. going forward. Now, they didn't really live up to that in the same way, really, as WWF didn't really live up to it with Bret Hart. But... At that moment, it felt like they really had invested everything in Sting. You know, they'd given him this journey up to the main event, and then they'd had <clears throat> Ric Flair put him over it for the title, put him over clean, have him Sting at moments look completely superior to him, which I don't think I have a problem with because again, they're sort of saying that Flair is coming towards the end anyway. He's 40 years old by this point. We've seen how age is a much bigger factor in pro wrestling back then than it would be in the future and they're putting sting over as the face of the 90s like they've had flair who's been the star of the 80s now it's sting's turn and so i liked it i thought the end was i thought the match was really good and uh, i yeah really enjoyed it i thought it was a good a very good match so going on to the the kind of end of the match so i thought it initially didn't seem like there was much only so for his pomp and ceremony behind behind him because and again this this goes back to wcw's my, my expectations of the production values of a wrestling show having been conditioned by the very high production values that WWF and WWE have always done. He walks at the ramp and then they lower a really weird firework picture of Sting's mm. face that then goes off and it looks really shit. There's then lots of fireworks and they try and do the WrestleMania 10 spot even though it hasn't happened yet. At least that's how I decided <laughs> okay in my head. But then do you know what I was do you know what I was hoping for? I was hoping for a Vader running. That was all I could think of. I was like, oh it'd be how cool would it be? Now, with the context in which you put it in, about it being like the beginning of the new era, it would be a shame to do that and kind of end that moment. But I do think how fucking good would it be if you just had this monster come down there and attack him? In my opinion, and I know what you mean, and I, I get what you're saying, you, you've got different context, but in my opinion, that would have been a ridiculously bad thing to do because you have just crowned Sting. It'd be like Brad yeah. being attacked by... I don't know somebody else as well in that moment it's just you are you are centering him as the top star at least mm. give him the night to enjoy it yeah but so, do you know what i mean just like but on this standalone and the yeah. standalone one-off not going to watch anything after until it comes up on the schedule you know i thought that'd just be a cool moment but yeah there we go. The the um the thing about the uh little portrait of Sting that comes down, I thought when it first comes down in the firewood summit, I thought it was on fire. And I <laughs> thought, oh, this is awful. But yeah, I mean it's um, not great, is it? And then and then Big Soli gets involved, doesn't he? Yeah, for his final interview. Oh, yeah. Where he says so he asks Sting how he's feeling. Sting says his mouth is dry, so I'll have to bear with him. But then he's, he does a huge job putting over Flair, which I thought was actually a bit of a mistake, in my opinion. Yeah. I thought he went too far with it. So he, he said, oh, you know, Flair is the greatest champion of all time, but now he has big shoes to fill. And then slowly gives him another chance. He asks him again, yeah, but how are you feeling? And he just goes yeah. to talk about Flair again. And I'm like, no, you've missed yes. the, you've missed your 
spot here fine put flair over once be the kind of gentlemanly sportsman-like baby face that you should be and put him over but then move on and talk about how this is a new era of wcw and you're going to lead it and all that stuff you just didn't take the opportunity and i thought in fairness to Soli, he did his best to get it out of state yeah, yes thing just wouldn't do it I, I I had that exact exact note. It's weird, isn't it? It's yeah. Evidently, everything what he's done is he's thought I must remember to thank Ric Flair or to give acknowledgement to Ric Flair afterwards, and then completely forgot everything else that he needed to do. Yeah. Well, and he says he's like going to do his best to be a great champion and stuff like that. And it's um along with the putting over effect, it's so wholesome it almost made me feel a bit sick. And it's not. It's not what we're used to as well. Like the era that we watch wrestling, like it's not really what we're used to what we grew up on. Yeah, it, it feels like G, GS put his put his work in. Sting fucked it. Fuck off, Sting. There's two things. First of all, Ric Flair is never just a heel. He's very often a babyface during this period. Mm. He, they switch him back and forth because he's got the unique ability to do it, and because because of his legacy and the length of time he's been on top, people kind of. Even when he's been a bad guy, people still respect him. So they kind of had to have Sting do that to be like, look, you know, this guy's an amazing champion. And I, so I have no problem with that. It also kind of, for me, feeds back into the sense that this is a passing of the torch. Because mm. Sting's saying Ric Flair, uh, Ric Flair's this amazing champion. I, so I have no problem to do it once, but just do it once and then talk about I'm the new champion going forward. I'm going to be the fightingest champion that WWE's ever seen. We're going into a new era now, and all comers, I'm bring, you know, I'm telling them bring it on. That, that's, yeah. that's how it should have ended. It just, it just went over the top and just carried on talking yes. about Flair too much. Yeah. I wondered because he says that Ric Flair won the title six times, every time with the help help of the Horseman. And I wonder if when he'd said that, he kind of it was one of those where he was like, oh bollocks, I shouldn't have said this. I'm gonna have to doubly put him over now. And then he gets his head right between his bum cheeks and has a good old lick. So it's licking, so it's licking Ricky's asshole. So that the show doesn't end on that horrific visual, um, we do get Jim Ross and Bob Caldwell at ringside one more time. They summarise the night and hype up Sting in his victory. They do the job, or they tried to do the job that Sting should have been doing himself in that promo. Um, so time for our overall thoughts on the show, uh, our MVP and our match of the night. Let's start with you, old man. It's a weird one, this show, because as I like, alluded to earlier, there's like little chunks. It seems to be in chunks. So the the little trifecta of matches after the Midnight Express, uh, the Vader, and then the um, Freebirds match. That's a lovely little phase. And then it dies off again. The main event, as I said, enjoyable stuff. The last five minutes in particular. I just found it very hard to get very excited by any of this. But also, I think, as may have come across, that's kind of my ignorance as to who some of the people are and what these things went and watching it in isolation. It's going to get a 6 out of 10 for me, which I think is more than fair. The Midnight Express uh, Southern Boys match is match of the night. And uh, my MVP, it's a tag team and it's the Freebirds for their dancing and the promo that they cut and the fact that they are they're so different to everything else on the show i really thought yeah go on lads and i can see why they were such a big deal from this tom you a few weeks ago you were quite upset when old man suggested there would be more than one mvp well he's kind of done it again there although they are a tag team what's your ruling on this i'll give it to a tag team yeah you're a good man tom yeah Yeah, i'm gonna give it a six as well i think i probably would have given it a five but the tag match is what what yeah. boosts it up for me. My match of the night is the tag match again, and my MVP is a tough one. And I'm going to put my MVP. There's lots of lots of reasons 
for me to criticise the show. And it's usually for something that I find particularly funny. And there wasn't much that I found particularly funny in this. But I'm going to give my MVP of the night to El Gigante's agent. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, I'm going for the six as well. I thought it was a perfectly reasonable average show. I, I guess I thought it was quite similar to the bash actually that we did last week in the sense yeah. that it was it was fine. It wasn't there was nothing there's nothing wrong with it. Actually, there was no bad matches on it, I thought. There were some moments where I was bored, but like it went because they were bad. It was just mm. it's just too many matches. Eleven matches is too many in two hours, forty five minutes. You can't give them the time and when I mean the time, I'm not talking about in the ring, I'm talking about outside of the ring. The entrances all seemed rushed. Everybody was running. Like there was one bit where the Midnight Express ran to the ring or jogged to the ring, and Jim Cornette's kind of running, jogging behind them. <laughs> just looked so ridiculous. And it was because they were just trying to speed through all of the entrances so quickly. The matches then didn't linger in the memory because they moved on so quickly straight afterwards. And I just thought, give me a bit more, give them a bit more surrounding them, slow things down, and make me embed those things in my memory rather than just moving on so quickly. I don't even remember that they've happened. And that's what kind of happened the first three or four matches of the night and then there was that middle portion as you say old man where things kind of did dip with the six-man tag match and luger versus versus mark mean mark but um it was a fine show my match tonight is also the midnight express versus the southern boys because it was excellent although i didn't think it was incredible like it, i didn't think it was that much more better than the main event i thought the main event was really good i think my mvp is rick flair because i really did you know, that moment where he just had this look in his eyes, which was relief and can't believe his luck he's going to win, just told the whole story so well that I was just like, yeah, that that's why that's why people think he's so good. Because no, not many people who can do that. Brett can do that. Yeah. I can do it. And they're, they're probably the only two people who can do it. It was just phenomenal. Uh, it's the follow up to what you said, think about the entrances. Everyone knows entrances is the best bit about wrestling. <laughs> so the fact that it's not on there it's just disappointing or at least what i enjoy the most anyway. yeah <laughs> you certainly do love an entrance but i mean the thing is this part of the overall presentation it kind of gets you up for the match it makes them feel important yes. because they're taking their time to come to the ring and people are people are reacting to them i was going to say as well it's kind of a, a general point really but we've in the past not been super up on the raised platform that they come in on mm. in WCW. I actually am growing to like it because I like the fact that it puts them up a level from the crowd. So it sort of yeah. spotlights them more. I quite like that. I just think they should just give them a bit more kind of time. Maybe it should be retractable. Oh, so it's when they're walking down the stair and when they're having their little fight, it's not. Nice. I like I, it. Tell you what, glad you mentioned the ramp. Oh, There's two things I've forgotten. The ramp is enormous. Like, I'd be bloody... Like you said, when the Midnight Express jogged down, I'd be fucking knackered. Cornet's carrying a little bit of weight and also a tennis racket. <laughs> it must have been absolutely exhausted. I can't believe I forgot to mention the incredible music over the replays. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. I was, having a little, I, I was basically in the Freebirds every time it was on. I put my makeup <laughs> on, some people walking past shouting homosexual slurs at me. It was lovely. Excellent stuff. So um, I guess we should move on to the final portion of our show. But just a couple of plugs first for us on social media. We can be found at RWR Pod UK all over the place. And specifically on Twitter, you can find myself at Tink Holloway and Tom at The Real Tom Smith. You can't find Old Man on social media because he's in the army now and they don't allow it. So, Old Man, it's time. Sorry, that's another status quo reference for anyone who didn't get it. Um no, didn't. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh man, it is time for the game. You are. It is. 
So what have you got for us? I've got something very topical for the show that we've just done. So there have been 14 members of the Four Horsemen. So these must be people who have been members. So we're not talking associates or managers or valets. And they must have been members because there is one caveat member that you may, well, non-member that you may say who was involved in some storylines with them. So we will go with Tom first. Uh, Rick Flair. That's Rick Flair. <laughs> Rick Flair, who was a member from 1985 to 1991 and then 1993 to 1999. Oh, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't think of him. <laughs> Arn Anderson. Yep, 85 to 88, 89, 91, 93, 99. Ole Anderson. Ole, 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 ole. 85, 87, 89, 1993. <laughs> that was brilliant. Uh, Barry Windham. Uh, Baz Windham, 88, 89, 1991. Sorry, Sorry Baz Windham. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Tully Blanchard. Tully B. 85 to 88. Uh, okay. Um, Chris Benoit. Chris Benoit, 95, 97, 98, 99. Uh, Sid. Sid Vicious, 90 to 91, with a leotard. <laughs> uh, Steve McMichael. Oh, you bastard. Oh, Mongo himself, 96, 97, 98, 99. Um, Sting. <laughs> Sting, 89, 90. Paul Roma. Paul Roma, one of the longest server members, May 23rd, 93 to December the 11th, 93. <laughs> um, Dean Malenko. Dean Malenko, September 98 to May 99. Yes, that was going to be my next one. Uh, and I am now in the yeah, struggle. me too, mate. I'm in the struggle. Um, they, have to, they have to be wrestlers. They're yeah. Managers, they're managers, no, no. So there's three left. Okay. Well, I actually don't think I know any other wrestlers that were in the four horsemen other than the one i think you're talking about when it comes to the storyline but i'm going to say him anyway because i've got no one else jeff jarrett that's correct but he's not a member so tinky loses uh, if you could enough. get one tom oh no no she went first didn't you? you went first you went first yes yes <laughs> i think the fucking the, the one draft pick or get off your fucking perch liverpool Man United are on their way now. <laughs> <laughs> That's two wins in a row for Tom uh, yeah. in terms of That's his true. own going for it. And also two losses in a row for me. So oh, we are we're we're into a new, we're into a new era, guys. We are into oh. a new era. Well, well, wow. How are the turntables? I didn't. I, you know, that was where I got to. I, think I, I wouldn't have had another one. OK, so what we have, Lex Luger, 87. Ah, Lugs. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Brian... Pillman, 95-96. The shortest tenured member, Kurt Hennig, August 25th, 1997 to September 14th, 1997. Oh, they're not ones that really scream out, are they? No. I, no, I no. should have got Luger, and when you said yeah. uh, Kurt Hennig, I was like, ah, oh, yeah, he's famously the one who slammed the door on Flair's head, so I should have got that one as well. If you hadn't got the main lads, you've got some that I wouldn't have. You would have had to have been living on an island. <laughs> okay, so that's the whole show. We've uh, got everything in. So, old Bam, thank you for joining me today. Well, thank you very much. It's nice to be rolling home. And just remember, Kempatera. And Tom, thank you for your contributions as always. Cheers, I'm uh, off to uh, wax Dutch Mantel's back. <laughs> <laughs> well, that should be absolutely lovely for you. Yeah, it's going to take me a couple of weeks. I've got the old uh, edge trimmer out. <laughs>
<laughs> well, that is all we have time for today, especially as for us, it's margarita time. But we'll be back again <laughs> next week with more randomly reviewed wrestling shows. Until then, take care. <laughs>